Today's episode of the Black Flag Podcast is brought to you by Solero Commerce. Formerly Tandem Payments, new names, same great people, still friend of the program, Evan Norvath. They got some great new technology coming through. So if you own a small business and you accept debit or credit cards, get in touch with Evan Norvath of Solero Commerce and he'll get you a free second opinion on your current merchant service provider. Brad Keselowski is going to be shown the black flag. It's the Black Flag Podcast. Every fucking week. Fuck, I hate my fucking job. Race analysis. Yeah, we're only girls pull hair, so. Maggie forgets that if they changed the rules and took the champion's provisional away, he wouldn't have been able to race the last two years, so. Uh... Occasional alcohol consumption. Uh, Jimmy Johnson is on pit road because I think he's the leader. And calling people on their shit. It refrains me from not beating the shit out of you right now because you ask me stupid questions. This week's Black Flag Podcast is now in session. Hey, we had some out we beat him so it's all good all right boys and girls another special episode of the black flag podcast coming at you uh as always i'm charlie sanborn at c sanborn iii across the table from me again as always is brad sauce here at b sauce 96 uh again another very special show coming at you a special guest to my right uh steve perry Welcome to the show. Thank you for showing up. We appreciate it. Uh, for those that don't know who Steve is, uh, basically the, the host of Mainly Motorsports, uh, diehard racing enthusiast from what I can tell, can be seen at any local racetrack that doesn't matter whether it's from Maine to Florida or whatever it is, but Steve's probably there or somebody's there with a camera for Mainly Motorsports. So uh, on behalf of me, anyway, I'd like to thank you for everything that you do for short track racing, but uh, for everybody that listens that isn't from around here, who the hell is Steve Perry? <laughs> just an old fat guy that happens to be a race fan you know um yeah no i have uh, been around the sport started my first time ever beach ridge 1971 i was five years old i was hooked uh took some time off in the 80s found girls found other things but then uh came back decided it looked easy started spending money and uh, decided i wanted to try it you know been a car owner and i'm sure we'll touch on a lot of things um you know obviously mainly motorsports and and that was a fluke how uh, I actually uh, went on the show a couple times as a guest co-host back in, uh, it was years ago when Mike Rowe was my driver. And then, uh, you know, John Crawford had some incidents where he was literally, uh, a car ended up on him up to Unity. So they had nobody to do the show with. I got involved. John wanted out of the show about six months later after his, you know, somewhat healed. Um, I bought the show probably i'll tell people probably one of the dumbest things i've ever done in racing <laughs> because you know the time that goes into it and to be able to do it um but in saying that i have met so many people over the years because of it you know um i've watched kids grow up in front of me you know starting go-karts um not even be able to you know see over the steering wheel they're looking in the steering wheel now these kids are trying to win the oxford 250 you know um that's how i met you charlie was go-karting you know and uh you know and and we've helped a lot of people and and it's just you know so i've always just enjoyed the sport you know whether it's uh you know Bartlett bridge raceway you know watching kids at go-karts you know pensacola for the five flag speedway you know the the snowball derby um, and, and like I said, the, the one thing that I'll take away from it, and I tell everybody in racing, when it's all said and done, all we got left is the hardware, the memories, and the friendships. So, and that is exactly what I'm living is, you know, we got a little hardware, a lot of memories, and some great friendships. For sure, for sure. And like I said, I, I, I not only do you have mainly motorsports, but like you talked about just a little bit, you've owned race cars, you, you put on the... Uh, the Augusta show every year up, you know, up north there, 
you have the Portland Expo show. Uh, you have mainly awards as well. And like you're talking about the hardware that, you know, by the end of the night, all you have is that chunk of plastic. You spent thousands of dollars for it, but at least you have that chunk of plastic that has a story behind it of some sort. So uh, not only do you have the show, like I said, but you, you've given back in so many different ways. And uh, I think one of the coolest Steve Perry stories that I have is that, uh, you know, when we first started, we were racing go-karts. Uh, my dad and I didn't have a lot of money. We, we showed up with the, the, the shit box trailer, the that, homemade open trailer, <laughs> the homemade open trailer. It was just like a little Bobcat trailer that we've riveted tin work to it. And it looked like almost a fucking diver down flag, uh, the way it was painted. Just, I think it's out in the backyard still here, but, um, yeah, we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, and you know, we ended up, you know, racing at Richmond with you guys and this, that, the other thing. And, uh, Alicia was running the, the 12 cart that you had for her. And, uh, there was one day we showed up and you were, I think, uh, your brother Brick was helping you Oh yeah, no, put it together. And for whatever reason, Brick didn't touch the go-kart that weekend. So, uh, my dad and I, who used to be the people, you know, what the hell do we do? Asking people we're now being asked by Steve Perry. Hey, can you help us out? Uh, so we, we, we basically built the go-kart or helped you yep. guys build the go-kart in the pits that day. And I think Alicia did all right. But, uh, also, when working at Richmond, uh, Bobby Timmons and myself, we used to be the flag guys there at the racetrack. Yep. And uh, I can proudly say that I was the one waving the checkered flag for Alicia's first ever feature victory. And and it's so funny. And we and I was thinking this last week, driving down the road, and I'm like, you know, when I when I've had enough, when I've said, you know what, I, I just I don't want to put the work in anymore. What are, what are some of the highlights that I can truly say are those memories and. And, you know, I, I started thinking the top five. And, and I'll never forget, you know, now, you know, we won the Oxford 250 with Mike Rowe. You know, I've had Kyle Busch. You know, I've stood in victory lane where he, we won a race at Star and got DQ'd. But, you know, we've done – we've won a championship. We've just so much. But when when a little go-kart race in a box stock division is one of your five highlights, when you're watching your kid, you know, take that flag around. And it's just – and I remember saying to Mike Rowe and Benji Rowe because – Benji's son, uh, Braxton, got racing, and Mike, uh, you know, was there. I said, you know, you guys have won the 250. You've done so much. When you get to see them succeed, it, it is just a whole another level. And your dad feels it. I'm sure your dad feels it. You know, um, you think back when you pushed him around the corner at Augusta, and yeah. he saw the replica of the 23. Right. You know, I mean, that's just that's just – the sport is so great. And everybody thinks that, you know, success is garnered by the, the flags and the trophies. and uh, It isn't. It isn't. A great day at a racetrack doesn't have to end up in victory lane. I tell kids that all the time. You know, I used to say to the kids in the junior, how'd you do today? I finished last. No, you didn't. Where'd you finish? I last. I go, no, you finished fifth. Well, it's only five carts. I go, yeah, but all your friends at school don't know that. Yeah. When you tell them tomorrow you finished fifth, wow, that's cool. I said, you don't get to lie and tell them there's 20, <laughs> but it's fifth. You know what I mean? So great days don't constitute victory lanes. I mean, those, those make the great day even greater. But you don't have to win or end up with hardware or be on the podium to have a great day at a racetrack. So can you can you touch on that a little bit? Like you you were talking about, you, you've owned cars that you know the 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 famous Mike Rowe has driven. You know he's he's won at every racetrack in in the state of Maine. He's he's a legend. You know in our area here, you've had Kyle Busch drive your race cars. But what's the difference? Because I don't have any kids that I'm I'm aware of anyway. <laughs> uh, so what what truly is the difference? Because this is something I ask my dad all the time. I said, what is the difference between you driving a race car or you in your circumstance having? Well, you've driven two, but the difference between having Mike Rowe or Kyle Busch compared to watching Alicia. What is that difference? Because with your kid, you live it 24-7. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
you live the joy, you live the heartaches, and, you know, it might not be, you know, racing. You know, you watched them when all the other kids climbed 20 feet in the tree and they only did to go 10. Yeah. So you you felt their pain. And, and I think that's the thing that's such a difference. And, and that's why when, you know, and I just taped the show uh, this week before, uh, you know, before coming here, and I made reference of Dan McKaig Jr., you know, how the, the, the bounce is back in Dan McKaig Sr.'s step because of watching his son. And it's just a total different – it's like you're doing it as a family. You're doing it as – and when you see your child have success – it's better than any success you've ever experienced. And and in most cases, you know, the next generation is better than the first generation. And you know, in, in some of the some of the cases, obviously Ben's not bad, but as they come, you know, it's gonna be tough to top Uncle Ben or, you know, Grandpa Mike. Grandpa you know? Mike, right. But yeah. uh but no, and it's just it's just anything. Or, or see the success your friends have and um you know the sport just brings out so much good i mean there's a lot of bad we all know that the negativeness and all that but you know if you really think about it and you're getting to hang out with your friends and you're getting to watch other people and and i always say you know if i turn on the cup race or i go to beatridge or i'm at wiscasset star lee i don't care a great race to me is when a first time winner ends up in victory night. absolutely absolutely <laughs> is that you know yeah. what i mean i was i was right pulling for william byron this thursday i think it was thursday at least it, yeah, Kansas. When he he was he was leading with thirty to go, and we had just you know shit on him on the show. Not not necessarily shit on him, but say he hasn't you know he hasn't done well. So if I'm sitting here watching a cup race, or even you know obviously at any of these local racetracks, anyone first time winner, I don't care who it is, I don't care what they've done in the past, I don't necessarily love John Hunter Nemechek. He wins, I'm excited. Oh no, no any yeah. anyone? Oh, absolutely. Do you have any first time winner uh, memory that sticks out to you the most? Um, Austin Terrio. Yep. Mike Twist, if he was sitting here today and we were talking, Mike Twist gives me credit for finding Austin Terrio. Yeah. I mean, I just happened to, uh, I was invited by the new owner of Spud Speedway to come up there and, uh, you know, they took care of our accommodations. Me and Amanda Leach at the time was the co host, took uh, Andrea, my youngest one, which you know, and, and Leanne, we headed up. And, uh, you're going to watch this late model 150. You know, the St. Clairs were there, Ricky Moore, some names, and, uh, you know, walking around the pits. And, you know, it's Spud Speedway. It ain't much. I've never been. So it, but it's, it's one I got to check off. It's still. a smooth track. I'll yeah. tell you, smooth for where you think it is. And the people love racing. So, you know, you take notice of, you know, it'd be like hauling into Oxford and everybody's on open trail and you got one guy with an enclosed trail. With, you, you, you take notice of that operation. So there's this kid over there, and he's working on a car, and he's got a family, and he's got a black number 57, and um, and I can't even think of the the guy's name that owned it. It'll come to me, but he had just sold a late model from Oxford, and he sold it to this kid. So it's Austin Terrio. So I'd done a little interview with him and, uh, you know, kind of paid attention and, you know, watched him during the day, and he did a great job. And lo and behold, he ended up winning the race, you know. So interviewed him after, and I'll never forget on that week's show when I said to people, I said, listen, I'm going to tell you guys, you need to watch this kid. He's coming to Oxford this week for an act race, a little out of his league, but watch how not only presents himself on the track, but how he presents himself off the track. And that's, you know, I think some people forget that when it comes to sponsors and things like that. What you do off the track is just as important as what you can do on the track. And uh, I'll never forget, people were texting me that week. Bob Collette called me up. He says, I was at Oxford. You are 100% right. That kid is the real deal. He's first class, that family. And 
lo and behold, look where he went. So, you know, I kind of, you know, we joke about it, me and Mike Twist. I, I didn't find him. Obviously, he was going to be found. But, uh, you know, I brought him back to the southern part of the state. You know, people now, got you know, paid attention to him, watched him as he goes. And oh, I was going to say, we have a die cast of him yeah, up here somewhere. Yeah. I think it's on that other it's next there. to that Ryan Blaney one down yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, so those are the things when I talk about, you know, I'm sitting there looking at your Chase Elliott shirt. If it hadn't been for my role at the Snowball Derby and, and mainly motorsports, I wouldn't have got to meet Chase Elliott. And yep. uh, I'll never, my funny Chase Elliott story is I, I go to a meeting. I now work for a company called LST Landscape, and that takes like 65 hours of my week. Yep. And then you sprinkle everything else in. So we had, uh, Chase had won the two, the Snowball Derby. There's a picture of me and him holding the trophy together, you know. So this guy, um, when he takes over the 24 ride, he this guy brings me a calendar. Uh, he says, oh, I got to give you this. And uh I said, what's that? He goes, oh, this is just Chase Elliott. You know, I know you're into racing. You might not know who he is, you know. So I said, no, no, no kidding. No, well, wait a minute. So I go through my phone. I scroll up. I go, is that him? And yeah. this guy, he looks at it, and it's a picture of me and Chase holding the trophy. And he goes, who the fuck are you? <laughs> you know, I'm like, he thinks because he got a free calendar at Napa. But, no, it's, you know, getting to go to those opportunities. And, you know, not that mainly motorsports is anything. And that's what I tell everybody. I'm nothing. Uh, I'm, but. You won't see me in a press box. You won't see me in a press booth. You'll see me in the grandstands because I have met so many great people at a racetrack just sitting in a stand, talking, listening, hearing their story, watching them cheer for their favorites, you know, and it's just it's it's opened up doors um, and opportunities that I would have never had, but it, it has allowed me to, to meet some great people. It's it's so cool, and it's interesting because when it really boils down to it, it like everyone, whether you hate now the people on the racetrack you hate the families there's you know obviously there's rivals and stuff like that but when it boils down to it racing everyone's just one big family because it's such a it's such a segregated you know portion like so when people people come up to me they're like oh what are you doing on saturday it's like going to the racetrack and they're like oh what are you doing sunday going to the racetrack people are like what do you just live at the right yeah i yeah. mean i'm gonna go to the racetrack and i'm gonna fucking sit in the grandstands because that's what i want to do and really you know if it's hard to be like loosely in i feel like yeah. a lot of my friends are like loosely in you know maybe stick a toe in the water and, and go to beatridge once but you know if you're not there and you don't know like like joe and charlie put on a hell of a show week one if you didn't show up to beatridge week one you show up like week three maybe you're not as tuned in to like you know no one what's going on on the racetrack like oh joe and charlie had this hell of a battle maybe charlie owes joe a shot who knows charlie's coming from the back here he's coming up on joe Oh, oh, look at that. Watch, you know, you, you really got to pay attention. And, and it really just, you know, I, there's no place better to be on a weekend, in my opinion. And, and maybe a lot of my friends think that I'm weird for that. But you know what? Well, we're, we're just those weird guys in the stands. Again, <laughs> we're nothing. You know, we're and it opens up so much opportunities, I think, for us. Just, you know, I'm not one to go and no one like not knowing someone and walk up and, you know, shake their hand, say what's up, you know. But with the Black Flag podcast people recognize me and that gets me involved meeting new people and i've met so many people that i would have never ever met ever if if it wasn't for having this little shitty platform that we have <laughs> you know that gets you know 600 700 listens a week which thank you all for listening but i mean i don't know why we still don't know why but uh, we appreciate it and i think it's opened up so many different avenues and i've met so many great people just having this show no right. absolutely and and the racing community like you said it's and we see it in times of need you know a family suffering and all that how they come together and um and, and it is it, it's the coolest thing and then and like you say the meet the people and um you know think about the state of maine you know 
the every track in the state other than Beechridge has changed ownerships in what the last five or six years. Yeah, you know, Dell is now sole control of Bangor. Used to be him and Alice. The tracks in New Hampshire, the the changeover. You know yep. what I mean? Um, so. You know, the sport's evolving, the sport's changing, people are getting out, people are getting in, and I always say it's up to all of us to do what we can to bring new fans in, because at some point, the guy that's 70s going to pass away, not going to be in that seat every week, or this person's going to take up boating or fishing or something, you know, we always got to introduce those new things, and that's why it, the kids and you know, that come in and, you know, try to get them attached to it, whether, in, you know, like Andy said last week, Andy wanted to be, a, a, you know, announcer. You know, the the kids waving the flags, being the backup flagman, or you know, helping on the on the cars. You know, being in the pits. Now, one thing you don't see a lot of at Beechridge, but you see at other places is the young kids. You know, getting them involved at a young age. You know, and um, I think one of the things that has changed over the years, though, is because of you know the kids now in the go karts. When when I started racing, I started in a limited sportsman with eighty or ninety cars. The Kevin Durgans, the Pee Wee Knights, the David Pinkums, Phil Pinkums, you know, I was in over my head. Dumbest fucking thing I've ever done <laughs> next to buy a mainly motorsports was to get in <laughs> racing and think it looked easy. And um, so, but now these kids start at eight. So when Charlie is how old? 27. Yeah. So you almost got 20 years experience. This is my 20th, 20th year, year racing. of racing. You know what I mean? 10th year in the sports series. Yeah. You know, 20, it seemed like just yesterday as a rookie, you won that. You know, whatever it was, the course spectacular, the Budweiser, Budweiser whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, how fast has that gone? Uh, Ten years next, or uh, it was 2012. Uh, we won the Budweiser 100. I was 19 years old, and because it was the Budweiser 100, they couldn't legally hand me the trophy because it has a Budweiser can in it. So they had, they had to set it down on the ground so that I could go pick it up myself. So there wasn't an actual transaction of the trophy. Crazy. Yeah, it's a wicked neat story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh. So it, it does. It, the the sport is great. It's a, it's helped all of us be where we are or who we are, and um, you guys do your part. I try to do my part, and just keeping the word going, you know. Well, uh, you you touched base briefly on Andy Austin. We had him on last week, so the, for those that haven't listened, go back and listen to that because that was a, that was a for sure an incredible episode too. But um, one of the things that he said that really resonated with me is that racing, basic automobile racing in and of itself, stock car racing specifically, is basically a World War II sport. Uh, it's something where you know everybody came home after this, and they they've got their their Chevrolets or their Fords or whatever. They go bend a pipe around a tree, put it in the car, call it a roll cage, and they're gonna be like, "All right, I'm gonna be better than you this week." So now we're you know fast forward 60, 70 years almost, and we're now in an era where even the lowest division at the racetrack, you gotta have special tools. You gotta you know a guy, this that the other thing where a lot of it is fabricated or um, just built from the ground up to be a race car, which that's a bit of a disconnect from there. So what in your mind do you think, uh, you know, you said you were talking about, you know, introducing these new fans to this. How do you introduce some little kid uh, into the grandstands to look at a, a, a super late model that doesn't look anything like he's ever seen on the street? Um, how do you get that uh, connected in their head to, to try and want to do that? It's, it's so tough because there's so many options. Like, you know, when we were kids, we didn't have all the options that the kids now have today's. You know, usually dads work, moms were home. You know what I yeah. mean? So you now moms work, dads work, kids are doing chores, kids are running here, kids are running there. So it's so easy for them to lose that attention span. You know, I came through the era where there wasn't much. You know, I couldn't wait to to be able to go in the pits. It was like a big deal. And it's a rite of passage almost. Yeah. Yeah. And 
you know, so when I was finally old enough and Bob Billadu's car stayed at our house and he asked me to, you know, if I wanted to be in the pits this year in a pit crew, I thought that was the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, yeah. like, oh my God, I'm going to be on a pit crew. Then I found that was overrated because, right. you know. <laughs> That's a lot of work. <laughs> I, I'm the grunt. I ain't a part of a pit crew. I'm just a grunt. I'm doing the stuff that nobody else wanted to, you know. But it's still, it's a part of, um, you know, being a part of a race team and being a part of the sport. And one of the things that, and I had a great conversation with Dave Dion a few years ago down to Hudson. And we talked about, and you're a perfect one for the opposite of Dave Dion. You know, you have a lot of friends that race with you. You guys mingle. You guys, you know, off the track, you know, uh, in the pits. You know, you're out together here, Bentleys, wherever. Dave Dion didn't have that personality. You know, he, he said to me, he says, you know, I'm not going to walk over and congratulate a guy that just won the race that paid $5,000 that I wanted to win. Why would I do that? He goes, he fucking took money out of my pocket. I got to race and eat and feed my family. He goes, so I might see him next week, like if it was Dick McCabe and we were at the sign-in window, I'd say, good job last week. But I didn't go have a beer with him and congratulate him. I'm mad, you know? And one of the things I think the, the sport has changed, and I don't know if it's for the better or the worse, but you don't have those rivalries. You don't have the situations where, you know, everybody wants to be everybody's friend. Right. And when I was a kid, I didn't get the opportunity to meet the Homer Drews, the Dick Walson Humes, the you know I did the Dick McCabe and Jeff Stevens because of my friends and my dad, so you sat in the stands, that that was an honor. If you won a junior fan club or you you know somebody knew that could take you over to Bobby Tangway's garage or Dave Kudamash's or Ralph Hughes, that was an honor. You really felt special. Now because of social media and the way the tracks are treating things, it's no big deal to go you know meet in the most part Charlie Sanborn. Yep. You can go meet him anytime. Or I can go on Facebook and I can talk to him. I can so it's good in a way. So the accessibility is almost too easy. It's it's way too easy, which yep. is good. It's it's we all it's how right. it's how life goes. Things change over the years. But I, I think back so I went with Dan Walker um probably two years ago. Dickie Walsham stopped us at Summerfest and he goes, Listen, I can't find your show. What the fuck? I go, listen. <laughs> You tell Phyllis to cook some breakfast, and I'll come up Saturday, and we'll find it, and we'll watch it together, and we'll program it. We're good. So um, I only met Dickie Walsenhume because of mainly motorsports. You know, I didn't know. You know, I never knew him. I used to sit in the chan- the stands and not cheer for him. Right. He wasn't my favorite, but I would have never got an opportunity to meet him, but because of mainly motorsports. So, you know, when I went and sat in his living room and – you know, we were watching the show and we were talking about this and his wife. And I'll never forget, you know, I said to I said to Dickie, I said, you remember that AutoWise 100 used to be the big deal at Beatridge for the late models every year. And they'd get three bowls, just similar yeah. to the milk bowl. I said, do you ever win that race? So Phyllis says, I'll be right back. So Phyllis comes back and she hands me the trophy yeah. of the inaugural one. Literally... I've got goosebumps. My hair is standing up on end like a true legend of the sport. I'm holding a trophy that he won that at the time compared to what we're getting today, like it looks like a piece of shit. Right. Yeah. But you don't realize, you know, what it is. You know, to me, I realize it. Somebody else might look at it and go, that's a piece of shit. Right. You know, and it's just because of those guys were more of heroes. You know what I mean? I think that's it's more challenging. Because you guys are so accessible that 
how do we make you a hero. be that kid to be an R of you? Okay. You know? Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So you, you've talked about, you know, briefly, you know, sitting in the stands and stuff like that when you were younger. How did, how did you first end up at the racetrack anyway? What did dad race? Did anybody else race or what got Brick's you? Dad. Brick's dad. Brick's dad helped on a, on a car back in the old C class. Um, the guy's name was, uh, Larry Chandler, which drove the pace car at Beechridge for a few years. Yep. And so Brick's dad decided it. And then they're going to start this new class called the Daredevil Division, which is now the, I don't know what it is, the Wildcat or whatever it was. So Also, quickly, when we say Brick, <laughs> that that's Steve's brother, Mike Ramsey. Uh, he yelled at us a couple weeks ago because we did, apparently we didn't mention that he won at Stars. So I'm pretty sure we did. There's too. your mention, Brick. Uh, but C- we called him. on your win three weeks ago. Yeah, three yeah. weeks ago. Uh, yeah. But why is his name Brick again? So a funny story about that, <laughs> all right? So there is a story. You know, people say, oh. So we, I had a card shop and a gun shop with a friend of mine, Scott Poulin, years ago up in Buxton, up at Torrey Hill. Uh, Brick worked for every single garage in the area. Dale Robinson, Phil Pinkham, and all that. So we... Uh, we got the shop across the street, and we're hanging out, and um, Dale Robinson and Phil P- and Peter Pinkham are in there, and we're talking, and Brick's over there working on a transmission or something. So Dale sees this guy show up, and he says, oh, he's over there. Let's check on his car. He says, you know, Mikey's working on it, and blah, blah, blah. And he says, so the guy comes back out in the yard, and he's kind of just standing there, like, looking at his watch, you know. And I think this was probably before the days of cell phones, you know. And so he said, well, I better go over and check and, you know, see, make sure everything's all right. So he goes over and he comes back. He goes, you ain't going to believe this. I go, what? He goes, fucking brother's working on this guy's car. I says, yeah. He goes, he's on the creeper underneath it, sound asleep. <laughs> so he says, this guy comes in, probably thinking he's getting billed, and your brother's under there sound asleep. So Peter Pinkham says, ah, that kid, he says, he got the heart of gold. I go, yeah, but he's got the brains of a brick. And that is exactly <laughs> how it fucking started. So he, and for years, I tried to incorporate and get Louie to take the nickname Block. Yeah. Brick and Block. But the Block one just never took off, you know? But that's where that came from. So Mike is a big part of everything I do with the shows, with the trophies and all that. And uh, But it was his dad that... Uh, Decided he was going to be on a pit crew. And when we talk pit crew now, you guys got garages. They were in the middle of Portland, down off Commercial Street, in a yard of an apartment building working on race cars. That's where they did it back then. There was no garages. There was no enclosed trailers. There was no, you worked on it in your yard, you know. So he got into it, you know, and that's when we started going. You know, standing in line an hour and a half before the gates opened because you only had one vehicle to get to the racetrack with. So the truck went in the pits with the car and you got dropped off and you stood in line to go inside and um you know and that's where it started you and know it, and it took off from there well and it, it did i i really enjoyed it and you know just you always want to be that guy you know yeah. like i said and um, those guys homer drew ralph cusack you know dick mckay they were like you were in awe of those guys like um and then you get to meet them and like they're just like you yep. you know they're just like you you know and, and it's funny so you sit in the stands and at the time you know everybody because you know Debbie embroiders and does all this. So everybody's got the apparel and all that. So at the time, that wasn't a big deal. It was knitted sweaters. And I can't remember if it was Betsy Fields or somebody. Everybody had knitted sweaters, you know, so you get a, a sweater and it would have your team on it and all that. And I would always have mine. And five laps into the race, you know, my stepdad at the time would start up front and he'd be at the back. Like he was fucking terrible, you know. <laughs> but he didn't have the money, you know what I mean? He didn't. So I would peel my sweater off. And then for years... I couldn't stand Ralph Cusack, I literally. And it wasn't that I didn't like Ralph Cusack. 
because how could you not like Ralph Cusack? You know, one of same, the nicest people. On the same planet. with Mike Maeda. What they've done with their race cars on the racetrack, very clean. What I couldn't fathom was every week watching the Kudamash team that sat in the stands have success and the girls with all that and, and excitement. And I never got to experience that. Never got to experience what that was like. And fast forward to 2000, I want to say six. Um, we started helping, I think it was 2005. We started helping Louis Anderson. You know, I've known Louis for years. He started helping us at the pit. And um, so started investing a little money to help him out. He didn't have a lot. So, and Louis, when he says Louis didn't have a lot, I've literally seen Louis take the carburetor off the truck that pulled the car there, put it on the car, go race, and then put it back on the truck to, to go, go home. home. So that, the Louis, that was a common thing. For the me. Louis we're seeing today is nothing like the Louis we saw no, yesterday. No. So or yesteryear. So we're helping him out, buying him some tires. You know, we're doing a little this, doing a little that. So he's running good one night. I guess he's running like second or something, and gets turned. You know, or leave. It's really close. He's running without power steering. So Bob Collette says to me, he goes, man, he can win a race. So the next week we had a we had a, a pass race at Canaan, and I chose not to go. Mike was driving for me. I wanted to stay behind and uh, go to Beatridge for some reason. I think Alicia might have had a dance thing and all that. Well, lo and behold, Louis wins his first ever feature event. You know. That was incredible. The pits. I, yep. They're all oh, yeah. off the hill. So Louis down on the front stretch, you know, the crowd's going nuts. He's, and he's got some big ones for his fans at the time. But, and how long had it been? He'd been racing 18, for 18, 19 yeah, Almost 20 so, years. had never won a race. So I walked down with a fan. So he's trying to get me to come out and take a picture. I don't need no picture. So uh, Dan Walker or somebody drives me over after to see him in the pits, you know. And, and and he says, Steve, I wanted you to come down for the picture. I said, I didn't need to. I said, Louie, you know what that was about? I said, for your kids are 8, 9, 10. I don't know how old they were at the time. How many years have they been sitting in the grandstands and watched other kids get to go down on that track and pose for a picture and hold that flag and hold that trophy and be down there? I said, that moment right there was about your kids to me. They finally had their night in the sun, their night of shine. You know what I mean? That's what it was about. And too many of us take it for granted that, well, this happens all the time. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Joey Pastore, we'll use a perfect example. Kids are going to get bored. Like, you know, I'll never forget my oldest one, Alicia. First three times I took her to the races. You know, it just so happened to be, you know, Mike Maeda, David Pinkham, and I think the other one was Mike Maeda again. So three times she went to the races, snuck her in over the pits, <laughs> got her picture taken with a flag and a trophy. She took the flag. She's like, but her fourth time of the race was opening day of 2002 or whatever, and Bubba drove for me and finished fourth. She wanted to know why she wasn't going down to victory lane to get her picture <laughs> taken. You know, it was so, because that's what she'd become accustomed to, right. you know. Not that it happened all the time. It just happened when she showed up. And But I think that happens a lot now. But So that moment that night for Louis' kids, you know, to to be able to experience what they've watched other people's kids walk down to the fence, be escorted down. The, those are the things that I think sometimes get taken for granted, but those are the things that, to me, are a big deal. One of the things that I don't know if you were a part of this or if you saw this when Louis won in the pit area, but just like when Dale Earnhardt yeah, won that, that Daytona 500 in 19, was it 98? I think is when day, uh, Earnhardt won the 500. Yep. Every single member of every single crew lined up in the Beach Ridge pit area from the track exit all the way down to where Louis pits and shook his hand every single, and I have never seen anything like that since I've never seen anybody 
have that sort of recognition for what they had done in that moment like I did that night. And that was one of the things that that's like top five, like coolest things I have ever seen because Louie works his balls off. Die hard. He, He loves race cars. He loves racing. He loves going fast. He loves all of it. But he doesn't have fucking two things to rub together. You know, so but, the money that he spends now on racing, you know, he you, back then, you perfect example. The first time I met Louie, the first time I ever met Louie, he was friends with Brick, but I never really communicated. I was driving home. I saw Brick and them where they were. They were parked on the, some guy's yard. And so I, I had gone in there and I pull in. I say, hey, what's going on? So I just went to Enduro at Oxford and cars all stove the fuck, you know, and I'm uh, I said, who's that over there? Oh, some woman crying. He goes, oh, that's my old lady, Sarah. I said, everything all right? He goes, well, you know, we want to go this thing. I needed a radiator. So I convinced her to let me take the money we'd set aside for the rent to, you know, buy a radiator. Because I told her, I'm going to win it back. I know I can win it back. And, well, it's all fucking stove the shit. And there ain't no radiator to take back. So, you know what I mean? So that was Louis. You know, Louis, and to this day. And nothing wrong with that. Because if everybody... That did that was shouldn't race didn't race there'd be no such thing as auto racing yeah you know yeah, what I mean absolutely. how many times have you not done something but gone racing you know not paid something but went racing when I was when I was in college and I'm sure Brad can kind of attest to this too when he was in college I literally was taking my refund checks for my tuition and eating ramen all week so that I could go home and buy tires for the yeah. hundred lapper or there's more guys like. You, not you now, but more guys like Louis of yesteryear yeah. than guys that are, you know, they're racing with the open checkbooks. Yeah, you know, for sure. And as I said, that's why when a moment like that happens for Louis, everybody feels, you know, feels for him. You know what I mean? So proud of what he just accomplished because they know the effort that they put in. Well, that it just goes into what you were saying. When you watch this guy struggle for so long and you finally see it happen, it, you're, you're invested in it just as much as they are at that point because you've been a part of it every single week. Like Brad was saying, if, you, if you're if you not there opening day and you just show up intermittently two, three times a year, you're not going to know that whole storyline. You're not going to know what, the, what they have invested in that. So it's always so cool to be a part of stuff like that. But um, on the backside of that, though, you have mainly awards. Right, so you, you kind of touch base on you know, the the Dick Walson Hume, the, the the little bowl that he had for the Auto Wise 100. Um, how do how do you get involved in not only having so you work 65 hours a week for LST, <laughs> yeah. you have mainly motorsports, but now you have mainly awards too. So that when somebody does go out and do something cool like Louis did, or you know even when I did you know, very briefly uh, for the the 100 lap or whatever, how do you go about you know getting a, a trophy business? So that was a fluke. Yeah. <laughs> so everything I do in life's a fluke. You know, um, I I just also before he gets into this, Steve Perry is the only guy that I have ever met that can literally create a business from nothing like literally just one day you you have nothing and then the next day you're like yeah i'm gonna build all the trophies for you you're like what excuse me it's like how did you do that so um you remember perv right yep my friend perv that passed away if perv was alive today he would tell anybody okay that i got the biggest balls of anybody's ever met now he's never (laughs) seen my balls i got three balls i literally got three balls Debbie says the third one's a fat pocket, but I like to call it a ball, right? <laughs> you know, and I don't walk around showing it off. You got one that you can bet on, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so, so um, I, I'm not afraid to take chances. I'm not afraid to lose money, lose anything. I, I just I, I just don't care. Like, oh, whatever. That didn't work. We'll try something else, you know. And this this what 
she, I don't say she struggles with it because this is what made her fall in love with me is because I'm that guy that's like, oh, he's different. You never know what. Like, um, I'll tell you a real quick story before we get into the awards. Um, I did Dancing with the Stars last year with her daughter in (laughs) November. So we're sitting at the table and I'm literally at my, on my phone on Facebook. I'm eating probably Captain Crunch or something. And I, I do, uh, you know, I'm looking at something and I see that she's still out looking for a partner on Facebook for Dancing with the Stars. So I I said to, I go to Debbie, I go, fuck it. I'm going to do it. She's like, what are you going to do now? See, that seems like a dangerous thing coming yeah. out of your mouth, especially when it's out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And that's why she's like stuttered, like, what are you going to do? You know? And I'm like, I'm going to do this Dancing with the Stars thing with your daughter. She goes, are you serious? I go, yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, I'll do it. You know, we get some people come. We'll be all right. So I text her daughter, you know? And her daughter texts her mother back. Doesn't text me back. Texts her back. So mom, <laughs> is he serious? She goes, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's sitting here now. He's got all this planned out. No problem, you know. So I go on, do a dance with the stars things, and we win, you know. So I'll never do that again. Like you win your first <laughs> one, right? Yeah. So, so it was the same thing with with the mainly awards. You know, I Todd Mead had award champs, and then he was awards and recognition. So he was doing all the awards for Beechridge and a lot of places, and a lot of it that I brought him. You know, um, business that I'd opened him up, and uh, you know, brought him opportunities. So um, had a great working relationship with him. And uh, lo and behold, one day, I didn't realize he was selling out or closing up or whatever, but he did. So I was with a, went to another business that was doing trophies for my shows, um, you know, for Portland and Augusta. And I'm like, yeah. So the first year we did them, and there was some growing pains. You know, they were doing something they'd never really done before. So you understand, and you're like, oh, no, no. But you think year two, you're going to be fine. You know, you did it this way last year. I'm just asking you to repeat it. They couldn't even do that. You know, so I'm like, fuck this. I need to do my own thing. So um, I called Todd and I said, hey, listen, I just found this bunch of shit on line at New- in New York. Is this worth buying? So he says, no, no, not really. But he says, if you want, you know, call this guy at the Cumberland County Credit Union. He's got all my old stuff. It's all sitting there. They want to get rid of it. I'm like, Jesus. So I do. And the guy wants way too much money for a business that's been gone for two years with no customers. Like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. We're fine. So fast forward six months, I said to Debbie, I said, listen, I've kicked the tires on this a couple times. Why don't you just call them up and see about maybe if they're interested in, you know, doing something. I I, I got to do something. So she sends him an email, and he says, wow, wow, it's ironic. We put it up for auction. Um, we're going to auction off. We got to get rid of it. And if you want to put a bid in, we're going to open them up Friday. And so we put a bid in. Me and her argued back and forth what I wanted to bid, what she wanted. She was much lower than I was. I just wanted to get it. Well, we didn't win the bid, but the company that did win the bid backed out. We were the only other bid. So they said, listen, if you come up to this point, it's all yours. So we filled a 28-foot trailer full of stuff, machinery, tubes, parts. Didn't know what we were going to do. But I'm like, now we can build our own shit for the shows. So for a year and a half, that's all I did, my own stuff for shows. Um Greg Emerson come to me one day and said, hey, will you do us a couple plaques for a sponsor? I'm like, yeah, I guess I could. Well, you know, whatever. You know, we'll do it. Try it. And built them. He liked them. And then I said, I'm going to sponsor. I don't know if it was Bob or somebody. I said, I'll do the trophies. And then we started. So people started seeing our stuff. Say, hey, you do this and do this. So we started doing it. So I call it a hobby. 
I mean, I don't work it. I mean, yeah. Brick does it. I do the design. I did, you know, I do a lot of the tags and stuff, but he builds them all. And uh, if it wasn't for Brick being able to do it, because as I sit here and look at all your stuff, I could probably build, you know, all them little ones that are just one straight up and yeah. in line. The ones that are six feet tall with four posts and yeah. all that. If I had to do that, <laughs> you would get, you would win your trophy and you'd get it in a box and you'd have to put it together. Fucking fry, and he whips them together like nothing, you know. Yeah. So, so we enjoy it. And and a perfect example last night, Star Speedway, SBM, you know, to have your trophies out there on the front stretch and those guys, and then seeing the team that got third, so excited that they got a picture with every crew member with the trophy. You know what I mean? That's that's uh, the, the, you know, that's I'm very proud of that. You know what I mean? I kind of I don't overzealous it, but. Um, you know, very proud, and, and my brother's proud. You know, because really, he's the guy that he puts them all together. Right. You know. I mean, well, I was I was pretty shit faced last night, and I walked up to Andy, finished third, Andy Jankowiak, and his trophy was so big that I had to like stop and think. I was like, did he fucking win? <laughs> I don't. I don't think he did, but that's a huge, like, wicked nice trophy. So, uh, yeah, I didn't know you guys made those. Those are nice. Well, just following up on the name of what the business used to be, awards and recognition. I mean, if you go out and you you do what you do on the racetrack, you you want something that kind of tells the story of what you did. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times these these local short tracks take that for granted, and you go out there and you, even if you you go from last to third, well, your third place trophy is like six inches tall. You're like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Uh, but now you know when you you have an event that's put on by you know whoever, and then mainly awards is involved, you get these fucking giant trophies and. Um, one of the wildest things that I had ever seen was we had gone, uh, I had never, Devin had never been to white mountain. So I, I was like, let's go up to Kank. Well, it was the fall time last year it was the pass race. And we finally ended up at the racetrack and the trophies for that race were taller than me. So they were over six feet tall. Um, and they were like the Napa, whatever. And oh, they yeah. were nice and yep. gold, fucking bold, beautiful trophies. And the third place trophy was as tall as me. I'm like this. Why are they like, for the amount of money that it costs to build that stuff, why would every track not do that? It doesn't make any sense to me. It, those those are your marquee events, and, right? And I don't know. Did you ever run any of my go kart events at Richmond, the mainly motorsports TV four hundred? Yeah, but I sucked at Richmond. But you but you flagged it, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So when we, I convinced Bill Stilfen to let me rent the track and put a race on. The first thing that came to mind with me is every class, now whether you're the six-year-old in junior box dock or you're the 30-year-old racing for a grand, we're having six-foot trophies in every class. So, you know, to watch these kids get their trophies that are almost twice the size of them sometimes and lug them back and have to drag them and not want parents' help, and, um, you know, that's when I I went with the big trophy idea i know there's people that don't like it i think there's people there's people that think that it's a waste of time it's a waste of money right but look at what you got where, where is it it's not in a box it's out on display right you know what i mean so the only one and i just walked in here and i don't know where these came from and they're nice trophies and all that and we build some that are just regular trophies yeah. right but something unique something with you know plaques on it or something different or something you know it's a conversation piece right the nice hardware, and I, I, I had this conversation with Red McDonald years ago when he was talking about making the change to me from who he had. I go, listen, I said, I looked at your guy last year, one of your guys, top three, posted with all his trophies from the year, right? He had like 18 trophies or whatever. They're all the same. Yeah. The tops ain't different. The colors are a little different, but they're all fucking identical. Change shit up. So then when somebody comes in, they look at something that, you know, 
because it, it does look nice when they're all uniformed. Right. But also it looks nice when you got some other shit sprinkled in there. Yeah. And and that was the first thing that the Wrens did when they took that show over or took that track over was they didn't shit can who they had because they had no they had nobody because they didn't have a relationship. Is Joe said, let's go with him. And they don't even very seldom does a track ever tell me what they want. Right. You know, I know what their budgets are, what they want to spend, and then we go with it. You know, for example, last week it was Norm Wren's birthday. It was celebrating Norm's night at Lee. His favorite color is purple. What color do you think the trophies were? Probably purple. Purple. Yeah. And what did each top three guys got? I put some plaques together. They were winner on Norm's birthday night or something. Yeah. You know what I mean, just that little added touch. And the one thing that sets me apart from other trophy companies, I'm a race fan. You know what you're looking for. I know what I'm looking for. So when it's Sunoco night at White Mountain Motorsports Park, let's put the big Sunoco thing on top of the trophy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Added, added flair. You know yeah, what I mean? it's easy stuff. Well, it's just like my Budweiser trophy has a Budweiser can yeah, in it. Yeah. That takes, what, two seconds to make yep. that happen? But it, it's part of the show at that point. And it's it's just something that a lot of these places, they just lack on finding that last little bit of it factor. And, you know, even when you have the, the picture of your, your big winner on the night, you don't want your biggest winner of the night having some little piss ant trophy. You well, know what I mean? The, and, that, that, that's just a bad look on the track, and they don't even think about it. It's so that. funny is because, and I used to say to Red, what are your guys going to do? The guys that finished top three, they're the ones that are all over social media. They're the ones posting their pitches. They're the ones, you know what? So the one thing that most tracks, in my mind, can improve on, all right? And I'm not saying this on a business side of things. The one thing that they can improve on that doesn't cost anybody any money is their end-of-night hardware. Yeah. You know what I mean? The one thing. It's not a new rule. You're not dropping your ticket prices. You're not changing the price of your tires or the fuel. You put a little bit more money into your hardware or on the special events because those guys, they're going to they're gonna advertise for you because they're going to have it on Facebook and you're going to have it on, you know, look at the tr- – and, and then you see other people comment. And, and not that we race for trophies, but we don't turn them away. But also, like, you were talking about Sunoco Night at White Mountain, right? So it's Sunoco Night, which they, they pay X amount of dollars, whatever it is, for the night. Okay, so it says Sunoco, whatever, for the race day, this, that, the other thing. But now that you – have taken it upon yourself to further that even more. You put their logo on the trophy. Well, now that not only do they sponsor the night, but now they they have the trophies, which they're going home somewhere. So now their advertisement goes into that person's home, into the garage, into their you know trophy case or whatever. So when the next little kid shows up at the race shop to try and get interested in racing, they're gonna look up at that trophy. Oh, Sunoco, maybe that's where I need to buy my gas. Yeah, it, it, it's just that last little bit that these places just don't understand it. I, 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 I'm kind of weird, so I don't know if you've noticed how these are set up, but I'm pretty OCD. Um, and this is just like the small chunk, but like this this blue one right here, this is great for radio too. We're going to describe something. I go out of my way, and I write on the bottom of each and every single one of these. So they all have a date on them, and they all have basically what happened for That's the night cool. or whatever. Yep. Um, so later on you know, in my life at some point, I'm going to try and build glass shelves so that you can look up underneath and see the story behind each one of these. Um, and then I even take it further where, uh, once I got into a full size car, I take my wristband for the night and I wrap it around one of the posts. So it's, it's the full story of the night. Um, and you know, there's a lot of people that have different philosophies on these awards and stuff like that. Like, uh, Adam Lovejoy, very well known for just giving it, giving the trophies away, which I respect that. That's totally your call. Uh, I just, I am so invested in that cheap little chunk of plastic that it's tough for me to give those away. No, it, it is, and um, it, it don't matter. 
like you said, every trophy up there, whether it's a third place at a go-kart track or it's a win somewhere, there's a story behind it. There's something that happened. You might have met somebody that day for the first time ever, and you're still friends with them 10 years later. You know, And and, uh, last year for autograph session at Beechridge, we gave away trophies. You'd have thought it was the second coming of Jeff Gordon or Dale Earnhardt or something down there. Think of all them kids wanted. This was better than candies. Yeah. They're walking around with trophies. They got a trophy, you know, and put, you know, Brick's name on, Brandon Wynn. It was just whatever we had laying around, just some different stuff. So, you know, it's just I enjoy it. I have a lot of fun with it. You know, we got a lot of great partners that, that trust in us, you know, Thunder Road, White Mountain, Lee, Star, you know, Bartlett Bridge, you know, some. it's just – and it's pretty cool because one of the things we do is it's not what's feeding me. It's not what's, you know, uh, paying all my bills. It's a hobby. Right. That pays brick and, you know, gives me some play money. You well, know? just like Andy Austin was talking about last week with the, the main vintage race car association, he said that he looked back and that uh, racing is something that has given him so much, but where was he giving back? And that's where his version of, um, you know, that comes into the main vintage race car association where it sounds like for you, it's the trophy deal. Yeah. Cause obviously we make money, right. but one of the things I do with, with all the tracks is you, you are a partner of us. There's a night where it's mainly motorsports. I bring the trophies. So I bring, um, trophies that are better than they're going to get on a regular basis. I put, you know, a hat on each one. So they get a pretty cool trophy. They get a hat. And the track don't get a bill for that right. night. So $1,000, $1,500 that they now can invest somewhere else that I just give for our partnerships, you know. Yep. Um, the rookie of the years at the tracks, at, at you know, the, we go to the banquet or we don't go to the banquet. It don't matter. They get a trophy. They get five sponsorship plaques and they get a jacket. So we do give back for the, our partners, you know. And um, so it's pretty cool. And, and they like the stuff. They like what we do. And. And, you know, anything they want, I'll do for them, you know. Yep. It's just, I enjoy it. Interesting. So I, I like all that stuff. Now, uh, earlier on, you, you mentioned that you, you've, going back on the other side of things now, too, you've owned race cars. You've done pretty much every job at a racetrack, it sounds like, at one point or another, whether it's uh, owning a race car, driving a race car, building the trophies, what have you, promoting the show. Um, how did you get involved with Kyle Busch? How does that story go down? Because well, that, that sounds pretty neat to Well, me. it's so funny because um, – I'd owned race cars for years. Um, I'd put a deal together with Jared Roby. And Jared Roby, uh, we ran and, you know, at, we didn't qualify for the 250. It just wasn't fun. We weren't having a good time. So I literally pulled the plug. Me and Scott Poulin owned it together. We literally, he walked in the trailer. Um, he looked at me. We both opened a package of Pop-Tarts. Why I would remember, because <laughs> we were both fat guys. We're eating our Pop-Tarts. He looks at me. He goes, you know what I'm thinking? I go, probably what I'm thinking. He reaches down and something was plugged in. He goes, boom. I go, I agree. So he pulls the plug. So we were done. We hadn't raced in two or three weeks. And, you know, so this is a buildup to the Kyle Busch thing. So like three weeks later, I go to Groveton with with Mike Lux. Um, He owned and was involved with Mike Rowe. So I had talked to Mike Rowe a little bit, but I didn't know Mike Rowe like I know him today. I was still in are of Mike Rowe right. you know what I mean from that little kid that watched him do what he did so you know I wasn't a guy that was just going to walk up and start talking to this this guy was it you know um, a couple years earlier we had talked about doing a, a deal with him with Mike Lux and I truly felt that Mike Rowe was washed up 
I will honestly admit, and we joke about that all the time, he wasn't winning, he was struggling, and I'm like, ah, you know, I think he's, you know, let's do this Roby thing. Pass his prime. Yep, 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 let's do this Roby thing. That didn't work. So Mike comes over and he says, hey, where's your race car? I said, oh, it's in the garage, four flat tires, we're good, we're done. He goes, no, no, let's get it. Let's take it to Halifax next week. We'll run your car. So, geez, that's a pretty big deal. Mike Rowe wants to run my car. So I go to work Monday and say to Scott Poole, and we own it together. I go, hey, you want to go racing this weekend? And he goes, with who? <laughs> I go, no, do you want to go racing this weekend? He goes, with who? I go, Mike Rowe. He goes, Mike Rowe wants to race our car. I go, yeah, he does. He goes, well, what do we got to do? I said, he'll send Seth down. He'll take it up to his shop, work on it, do whatever we got to do, and we'll go to Halifax. And he goes, all right. So this is, you know, so we're going to go race with Mike Rowe. The problem I got is I got a weekend away planned with my wife at the time. Um, we're supposed to go away. We got the sitter all involved. Now I got to, I want to go to Halifax. So this is where I invented the <laughs> shut up money. Okay. They'll all shut up if you give them enough money. Oh, all absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, so I said to her, I said, it's the greatest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. yeah. So I said, listen, I go home. I said, listen, uh, we're going to have to go in on the weekend. I want to go race this weekend with Mike Rowe up to Halifax. She goes, but we were going away this weekend. I go, hey, yeah, I know. I know. This is a big deal. Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe wants to drive our car. I mean, this is a big deal. Yeah. But we were going away. I go, well, you know that Gucci watch you want? She goes, yeah. I go, well, I'll buy it. She goes, you buying it before you leave? I go, yeah. So that was where I got <laughs> money. So she shut up. We went racing. So we go up with Mike. We had one crew guy, Seth Holbrook. That's it. We had a couple other kids, you know, tire guy that was just me the and Scott. that you used to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> me and Scott Poulin. We head up. We get all the way to the Canadian border, realize he doesn't have a license to get Yikes. across or get back. So we drive all the way back to Saco and then turn around and go all the way back up again, you know, get his license. So, Oh, I would have left him. Oh, yeah. yeah. I would have uh, left uh, him. So out. we get there. What's that, 10 hours of driving just because he fucked up and oh, didn't yeah. bring his license? Oh, yeah. No, just, oh. I just slept. I just slept. That was good. So we get up there. We're in the race. Mike's running the race. He's, uh, you know, decent. You know, we got a top five car, top ten. We've never run that. We've never run like that. So now we're really pumped up. So... I don't know, probably 75 laps ago in the race, the nose is all folded in. It was it was involved in an accident. Water temperature is way up there. So he's coming down the front stretch, and he's on the radio. He said, listen, the water temperature is buried. What do you want me to do? So everybody looks at me, and I said, well, it's the only motor we got. We can't just blow it up. Mike, you got to pull it in. He drops to the bottom of the track, starts to come in, going to head to pit road. All of a sudden, there's a wreck coming off four. So somebody hauls on the radio, a spotter hauls on the radio, Mike, stay out, stay out, stay out. So he stays out, the caution comes out, we're able to come in, rip the nose off, clean it up, get some air to it. Lo and behold, he goes on to finish second in the race. We're, getting, we're taking home hardware, yeah. you know? Like, we never fathomed that. With all the drivers we've had over the years, at Beechridge we won races, challenged for championships and all that. But to 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 run runner-up to Johnny Clark in a pro all-star series race with a car that, you know, is older, you know, that, that's pretty special. So if that wreck doesn't happen and he pulls in, we probably never run another race with Mike Rowe yep. or if the motor blows. So fast forward the winter, we make a deal, we're going racing. We That's when we start SP2, whole big deal. We order two brand new cars. We're going full blown. You know, we're going pass racing. So we got 
crew guys hired. We're racing right out of Saco. I reach out to Bill Ryan and said, hey, Bill, I know last year you had Kurt and you had Matt Kenseth. If you need another drive, if you need another Bill car Ryan, year, former owner of Oxford. Of Oxford. Speed, I said, if you need a driver, we're willing to put a driver in. So he's like, all right, if something comes up, I'll let you know. So Kurt can't come back. He's getting married or something or something's going on. But Kyle wants to come back. So he offers Kenseth back to the Wharfs, offers Kyle to Timmy Brackett. Well, they had a sweet deal with Kurt. Kurt brought all that drinking money or whatever it was. (laughs) I don't know what it was. So they basically built the car. So it was a good deal for Timmy. Kyle wasn't bringing nothing. Track helps you with some tires and fuel and all that. Timmy didn't want anything to do with that. So Bill calls me up. He says, listen, I I got your driver if you're interested. I said, all right, who is it? He said, it's Kyle Busch. I said, I'll take him. He said, all right. He said, I'll get you all the details. We'll get you hooked up, blah, blah, blah. So I'll never forget. I walk in the garage. Seth Holbrook. And I don't know if either one of you guys know Seth. You know if you see I know the name. All right. Well, he's our crew chief. I walk in the garage. I said, hey, Seth, got us a 250 driver. Who you got? Who we getting? I said, Kyle Bush. He stands up. He goes, you can fucking find somebody else to work on it because I ain't working on it because all he does is fucking wreck shit. I said, I'm pretty sure you are going to work on it because we're signing your paycheck and you're going to be fine. So fucking relax. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Well, of all that whole deal, the one guy that made out the most in this whole deal is Seth Holbrook. Because right now, as we're sitting here today, you know what Seth Holbrook is? He's down south, crew chief in Kyle's Super Late Model deal. Yeah. They've maintained that friendship. It, It got stronger and stronger and stronger. And Kyle, you know, to this day... We'll fly him all over to work on his stuff. And he shit-canned his regular guy this spring because they were struggling and convinced Seth to come down there for six months, turned the whole Super Late Model deal over to him. And, you know, so when Kyle goes and races one race, Seth's there. You know, so I tease him all the time. I go, good thing I didn't listen to you that day, huh? How's that worked out for you? <laughs> so, you know, Kyle comes to the 250, and then that's that's what it was. So, and, he, Is this still when it's an act race? Nope. No, nope, this is a super late, model a super late model race. So okay. uh, the first year, he he should have won it in 2005. Yeah. It's when we, we made a pit stop with, like, 60 to go, and a lug nut kicked up over and got caught between the brake caliper and the bracket. So when they tightened the wheel, it locked the left front brake on. Yep. So they literally dropped the jack. He drove a whole half a lap with the left front tire never turning, burned the hole right through the tire before he got back in the pits. They tried to unleash the, the caliper and yep. make it, but it wasn't right. Yep. So he ended up finishing sixth after leading 60 laps. He was the dominant car in the field. So to make a long story better, yep. Mike Rowe won with our other car. So I wasn't so worried about Kyle Busch not winning, you know. It was a good payday. Yeah. 2006 he wants to come back you know uh but kurt's getting married he can't come test he can't you know so we're like trying to figure out how we make this work so i called bill ryan i called kyle i said listen what about if the day you run loudon you just stay overnight we test that next monday you come test you do everything and then you go to your wedding you do your shit and you come back the day of the, the weekend of the race instead of coming early and he goes, oh, I can make that work if you guys can. So I said, and then we'll take the car back. We'll put a new body on. We'll do all that work. This is when I really realized how fucking smart Kyle Bush is. So he shows up. He wins Loudon. So now we don't even know what, is he coming? Does he still able to come? Right. What? So he shows up. The limo brings him up like one of them Cadillacs, not yep. really a limo. But he jumps out. 
we're all like, oh, I just want a cup race. Yeah. Hey, congrats. He didn't want to fucking talk about it. He didn't care. He was there to get that car the best he could get it for the 250. So he's practicing, he's practicing, practicing, and, you know, just not right, just not right. So he says to Perry, he says, he says, Perry, they run street stocks here and shit like that, don't they? I said, yeah. He says, let's get in your truck. Take me in the pits because we're part on the infield. So we go in the pits. You find some old bumper look like off a Fairmont or something. He says, throw that in the truck. Let's go. So we go. I'm like, what in the fuck is he doing? So he's like, get a hacksaw. So we, I'm like, listen, let one of the other guys. You go cut your fingers or whatever. Yeah. So I said, I need a piece like this, this, and this. Takes a piece, puts it at the bottom of the shock to extend the travel uh, of the bracket, and goes out and picks up four tenths. Like nothing. I'm like, what? And the, he goes, yeah, we're good. He goes, we made a couple more changes. He says, all right. So obviously that we don't want to run the 250 like that, but do you know what we need and all yeah. that? So literally I'm like, who is this guy, right. you know? And shows up and should have won that one too, but the motor blew while right. he was battling Jerry Moore for the lead. So, um, you know, a lot of people see Kyle, they see him on TV and all that. To work with him the three or four times and the effort that he puts in on that program, you know, he doesn't just show up for appearance money. There's guys that are showing up for appearance money. They don't care if they run like dog shit or if they run up front. They just, you know, he don't show up for appearance money. He told me in, in 06 that we had to go to the Conti because he got wrecked in the heat. If I need a, a provisional to get in, Bill Ryan keep his fucking money. I'm going home. I ain't. I don't race for provisionals. Yeah. You know, so, um, I mean, he's a hard cat. You know, and uh, but the guy knows his shit. Yep. So uh, between all of these different, you know, pretty pretty prol- pro- wow prolific names that you've mentioned, you know, Mike Rowe, Kyle Busch, all these other guys. What are some of the main differences that you've noticed, like with you know a certain mindset that they may have over anybody else that you've worked with? The desire to win. They just they just want it that much. They more. want it. When I. When we committed to Mike Rowe, I'll never forget, I'm walking around the Augusta show. You know, it was before I owned it. Bob Walker stops me. He was the legendary voice of that track. Gave him the nickname, the king, you know. He says, Stevie, now you got a driver. He goes, he won't give up and tell himself he can't win the race till the check it has been thrown and he's on the backstretch on the cool-down lap, then he will concede that he can't win that night. And that guy, the desire to win sets them to apart. You know what I mean? Mike is, you know, he's old school. Mike Rowe wants to work, and Mike Rowe wants to race, you know? And I just think, you know, you don't see that now. I mean, you want to win. You finished 10th yesterday. You're not ready to shoot your dog, right? I'm not pumped about it. No, but you know what I mean? But... um, I, I just think it's easier to sweep it under the rug because, you know, I think we we take we just rate well we're racing. Hey, I'm racing, you know, but those guys, it's more than racing. It's the desire to win. Yeah, interesting. Do you have any questions, Bradley? Not really. No, no. I, I'm just he's such a good storyteller. Yeah, Charlie well, told me earlier. Like we well, we haven't had too many face to face conversations. No, and I was wondering. Yeah. And I was gonna, <laughs> yeah. one of the first things I wanted to start on is how long is this show because. I can ramble. Oh, we don't. I know Charlie can ramble. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Charlie told me earlier. He was like, yeah, I mean, I was like, what are we going to talk about? You know, I don't have any notes. My my main questions typically are like, you know, 
how mainly motorsports start. I already covered that, and that's that's it. I mean, <laughs> yep. and, you know, and and you, we need to. I think we need to stop getting people on the show that are better speakers than us. Because <laughs> Andy and then you, right back to back. Jesus, people yeah. are gonna like you know. I want to buy this seat. I'm yeah. gonna buy this seat. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be the worst guest to ever have a uh, free stay on the show for sure. But yeah, uh, no, I, I, it, it's funny as as. I love the sport. I love everything there is. It's like the the two shows we talk about. You know, yeah. we haven't even touched on them. The Northeast Motorsports Expo. Um, my buddy Waddell that does all the radios, he'll tell you because I told him the reason I own that show is I went up there once as a vendor and I didn't like the spot the guy put me in, so I bought the fucking show. Now I can do whatever <laughs> the fuck I want. That ain't the truth. Love it. The truth is, but I, if that was the truth, I would be like, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, yeah. So the truth is, um, I was sitting in. Portland setting up Marco's show one year and I had already done the show in Augusta and Timotia comes down and he says hey got a question to ask you so what's that he goes would you be interested in taking over my Augusta show if if I decide to to get out I said yeah 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 I'd be on it I guess yeah yeah he said yeah he goes uh yeah all right so he said we'll talk later on you know I'm thinking about it and you know it's all right. So kind of like, you know, when people tell you something and you think, ah, they're just fucking full of shit, you know, I just want to hear himself talk. And I forgot about it. So August, I get a phone call. He said, listen, he said, I want this show to be my last one. It's my 20th or 21st year or whatever. And he says, I- I'd really like to have you have it. I said, wow, that's cool. He said, well, let me tell you a little story behind it. He said, Bill Ryan, who owned Oxford at the time, Doug White, who owned Wiscasset at the time, both want it. They're both willing to pay whatever I want. Outbid each other. He goes, so I went to Peter Prescott, who is, you know, my biggest supporter, biggest sponsor. Told him that this was going to be my last year. What I was going to do, who I was thinking of, those two. And um, did he have a preference one way or the other? Peter Prescott said, who I had never met at the time, said, listen, you're making a mistake if you go either route. He says, because one has Oxford in his best interest. One has Wiscasset in his best interest. He goes, you need to find somebody that has everybody's interest in his best interest. He goes, I don't know the guy, but why don't you try to sell it to that guy that's got that TV show? Mainly motorsports. So Peter Prescott, who I'd never met, knew enough about what I did and how I did it that he felt that Timotia should should approach me. So that's how I ended up, bought that show, you know, and um, he sailed off into the sunset. And, you know, we've tried to bring it back, do what we can. It's, you know, it'll never be the show that had Earnhardt and, you know, A.J. Foyt and Tony Stewart and those guys come up like you could in years past, right. you know, because they all come with six-figure checks now. Right. So now that's when we try to take the, the Charlie Sanborns or the Mike Rose or the Ben Rose or these guys, the John Peters, and make those the draws, you know. and um, And like I said, what makes it also different? These guys are so accessible now. We don't gotta go to a show and see them. We can see them at Happy Half Hour. We can see them. You know what I mean? So that's right. that's one of the things when you look back and you see where the crowds were back in the '80s and '90s to where we are now today. Is the show better? I think so. The quality of the cars is better and all that. But the accessibility of oh, if I want to go see Charlie's car, I can just go over to Charlie's garage and hang out with Charlie. Yeah. You know. Whereas we didn't have that option. 20 25 years ago so it it sounds like the the last thing that you have yet to do or haven't done yet i guess is own a racetrack 
Uh, so if you were to own a racetrack, what are some of the things that you would do that you don't see every weekend at a, at a local racetrack, you know, around here or anywhere in the country? What, what, is, what is Steve Perry's ideal show and racetrack? Um, I know it's a long question. Well, no, it, it, you got to make it enjoyable. Okay. It's like anything, but how, if you go to a restaurant today, okay. And you order a steak and you pay 20 bucks, fucking steak better be worth 30. Yeah. They might not bring hamburger and slap it on your plate. You know, I used to tell George Fernald at unity, dude, you don't got to keep me here eight fucking hours for me to think I got my money's worth. Give me a program. Give me excitement. Give me stuff that people are on the edge of the sea and don't want to miss it. You know, um, I think in too many cases, racetracks are complacent. I think everybody's trying to do too much their job at that night. So they can't do the extra stuff. Um, you, you've been to my mainly motorsports events. That was a yep. little go-kart race, yep. a little go-kart race in year three that 102 go-karts in Richmond, Maine, that every other go track in go-kart track in new England shut down because of my race. Like we going to take this weekend off. This is where everybody wants to be guys from Connecticut. The, what I'd call the professional racers bringing their cats up, being a part of it because it was an event, you know, now it's, you know, some of these tracks, you know, from the old days of unity where they want to keep you there for 12 fucking hours to make you think you get your money's worth. You got other tracks that want to keep you there and, you know, they just want to get you in and out and get your money. You know, I think there's a fine line. I think there's opportunities. Um, it's so funny because when red a few years ago, before he went, I think it was with Joe Bassett, red McDonald, red McDonald. He, he had called me and asked me if I would gauge any interest and coming to work and be, whether it was a general manager or a part of promotions or part of something, you know, and kind of kicked the idea around. But then I'm like, you know, um, you know, it's a full-time gig. You know, would I love to be more involved in some of these tracks? The ones that do have my involvement, they tend to have some some wins. Yep. Um, there's some tracks that, that won't involve me. Um, you've... Fortunately, unfortunately, have never been to my Wiscasset nights where they literally turn the microphone over to me. I do victory lane. Um, and then, you know, I walk through the crowd. We incorporate athletes. We have a, a benefit for the Special Olympics. It is just a fun night, you know. It's it's something different, you know. Um, one of my pet peeves, my biggest pet peeve at any racetrack is victory lane. That's the you know that's the success story that night. So the announcer or whoever's doing victory lane needs to have a little backstory. Needs to you know sometimes I think I've seen guys doing victory lane like they never watched the race. I'm like, why aren't we talking about the battle that he had with this car to get through? Because these were the two fastest cars. We knew whichever one got the lead first was going to win this race. Why don't we talk about that? Why don't we ask that question? Why are we fucking asking like? Well, you, you know, you've won three out of the first five races. What are you going to do to make your car better? You yeah. know, that's when you want to look at it and go, well, dude, I've won three out of fucking five. How much better do you want me to make it? Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so yeah, I think sometimes guys that are thrust into the position of doing a job don't really know that job, so they can't do it well. You know, um, the one thing that the COVID thing has helped is that some of the tracks, mainly New Hampshire, you know, everybody and their brother wants to come out to have their picture. I mean, you got fucking goats, donkeys, bringing a <laughs> grandmother in a wheelchair. I mean, it's like everybody. They're not even part of a team, like, but it's a photo op. It's like, just have a nice, professional-looking victory lane, and let's move on. So you know? you're talking like three, four divisions, 
back to back, make sure everybody's lined up in the pit area, ready yeah. to go. You know, a clean have interview. Some, have some special events. And, but, you know, um, you know, the happy half hour, in my opinion, worked. Now, I, I don't, you know, it's like the same people, the same, you know, um, unless, and I'll never forget when Dan Winter, I had him on my show one time, one of the best interviews I've ever done, you know, because it brought it back to reality. You know, when I talk about people become so accustomed to winning and this, that, and the other, at the time, all Dan Winter wanted to do was earn an invite to Happy Half Hour. Been racing three years. Wanted that top five to earn that invite. You know what I mean? Yeah. You think, wow. You know, Charlie, you you wouldn't think that, right? Because won some races. Right. Right? Yeah. It's like, what's Charlie say? Oh, fuck. We got to go to Happy Half Hour. <laughs> you know what I mean? This guy's, that's going to make his season. Yeah. That first invite, you know? So so I do think there's things tracks can do. Um, I, don't, I don't say I know everything, but... You know, like you said earlier, you know, I travel to a lot of different tracks and see a lot of different things. I see shit that works, I see shit that don't work. You know what I mean? And I think sometimes they all get set in their ways, and this is what they've done for years. And it's just like that fan that's been coming for 40 years. Maybe he ain't coming for 41 or 42. It's, you know what I mean? So we've got to change stuff up. And I, I look back at what used to happen when I was a kid, you know, and, and some of the stuff that why aren't we still doing that? Why don't we have the junior fan program? You know, why aren't we, you know, bringing the drivers out to, to, you know, spend time in the crowd, you know, just different things, you know, and I know there's insurances, I know there's situations and I know we want to get people home, but there's a fine line between an eight hour program and a two hour program, right. you know? Well, and we've, we've kind of touched base on it a little bit, but the, the accessibility, uh, you know, today compared to what it used to be, it's so much greater and so much easier to access that driver or that team or that car, go touch it. It's more tangible than it ever has been. Um, but with that almost creates more of a disconnect, uh, because it is so accessible that you almost forget about it just as quickly. You take it for granted. You take it for granted. Now, one of the coolest things that I've ever seen, granted, Tony Stewart owns the place, but when you go to Eldora or something like that, they have a jumbotron, you know, there's, there's, it's part of the show where you, you go to any cup race, it, there's a jumbotron, something like that, and something as simple as like a camera or something like that, walking around the pit area, talking to these cars or whatever. You now have that connection to something else going on other than what you just see on the racetrack. Um, which, granted, that makes it maybe a little bit more accessible, but it, you're creating more of a show with it as well. You know what I mean? Or if you you drive across, uh, you know, why why aren't the scales in the middle of the track? You know, if I go out and you know top three win win a heat race or whatever, I roll across the scales. There's a red light or a green light. If it's green, all right, you know you pass. If you fail, well, now everybody in the stands knows, everybody else knows, and that's part of the show. You're that much more invested in it at that point as opposed to just seeing cars do 12 laps and then they pull off. You know what I mean? It's just there's little little tweaks, like you were saying, that I think could make it just that much better uh, to draw more people in. You know, I went to – I've only been to one dirt race, and we went to North Carolina a couple of years ago, and I've never seen anything like it. They roll you out. They stage you on the front – you know, in the infield. The, the, the race before you gets off, you pull out going into one, coming off four, the green's out. We don't have six laps of fucking right. lining them up. You know, you know the, the track announcers rattling their names off quick, and if you didn't get it, too bad. Yeah. And unbelievable. The entertainment was, you know, the crowd. You know, I think the, the crowd. You lose that big crowd effect, so not only do you not have the – you don't have the rivalry in the grandstands. You don't have that group of – Homer Drew fans sitting there and the group of Walsingham fans and Ralph fans. You just, you know, you just don't have, you know, everybody goes. It's almost like we've turned robotic. They just become very vanilla, if you will. 
Um, so kind of the last thing I think that we haven't touched base on yet with you is your involvement with the Special Olympics and um, what you have going on with Jake Dore and the Modified and all that stuff. And you, it sounds like you've raised a ton of money for them you know, with uh, your raffles and your, your, your car shows and stuff like that. So where does the involvement with that come in and uh, what what's the plan moving forward with that? Like everything I do, it was a fluke. Yep. <laughs> you know, um, it was funny. We would... I always have a night at Wiscasset yep. called Mainly Motorsports Night. I do the trophies. I get to do the interviews in Victory Lane. Uh, we give away some bikes. We just have a lot of fun. So the night I wanted, like three years ago, was a night that they already had a sponsor. It was this company called Bazudo's Inc. They're the parent distributor for IGAs. And um, I said to Ken, I said, well, perfect. If they don't mind me being involved, I'll put their name on the trophies. I don't need my name on the trophies. I don't care. You know, give them some credit and all that. And he goes, all right, I'll run it by him. He goes, and maybe another thing. He says, we've been supposed to do some fundraising for them for the Special Olympics. They're big into the hometown foundation and everything. Maybe you could do something that night and help out. And I go, yeah, we'll do whatever you think. You know, let me know what you think. So he calls me. He says, oh, it be a great idea. And um, here's Ray. He wants to meet you, blah, blah, blah. And so we went over some things. I said, hey, this is what I'm thinking. I said, we got two weeks to go. We, there ain't a lot we can do. Let's come up with this idea. We... We'll sell tickets, put your ticket in a bucket, and each bucket has certain prizes, some better than others, and, you know, we'll give away stuff. We'll sell tickets, raise some money. So he said, all right, it was good. So we went and did it, and we raised $3,500 one night, the racetrack. So I tell him, hey, we got the money here. You want to come down? So he's sitting in the chair, and I said, I said, I had never told him a number. I said, we just got your money. So I said, here it is. It's like $3,528 and blah, blah, blah. And I, he says, he leans back in the chair, and he goes, you raised, you know, so now I'm thinking he's mad. I'm like, this fucking guy's mad? Yeah. I did all the work. I busted my fat ass. <laughs> this guy's mad? You know? He goes, listen, we just did something with the Sea Dogs. We had a whole day, and I spent this and that, and, you know, and we tried to use it as a fundraiser. We had, you know, 500 athletes there and blah, 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 blah. He goes, they raised $1,100. He goes, we need to do more with you. I said, oh, no, that's cool. Next year we'll go bigger. So we went the next year and did the same thing, raised even more. And then I came up with the idea of let's – last year I said, let's do – we'll sell sponsorship packages on the mod. We'll go race that in the Super Late model. We got 10 races. We'll sell gold, silver, and bronze just like the Olympic medals packages. So if this package is $2,000, you get title sponsorship across the front of the hood and on the rear quarters. It's kind of like what Cup does or, yeah. you know, when you – so – we raised almost $70,000 doing it that way. I fund the entire racing through my out of my pocket, you know. Um, so it was it was pretty big, but it was a lot of work, you know, because you're changing decals constantly, trying to track them down. Oh, shit, we got this one this week and all that. So um, this year we were going with a little different theme. We kind of backed up. It was We were trying to sell 100, um, just 100 packages, $500 a piece, and, you know, we won't come close because of what it's hit. But the other thing is, um, it has introduced me, because I wanted to involve with a charity, but I didn't know which one. It has introduced to these, these athletes. I went to their state games last year, and you know what? They just love life. You know, we all think, oh, this sucks. This is what a bad day I had. Well, how'd you have a bad day? What'd you, oh, my car broke down. No shit. You got a car. You got out of bed on your own two feet. You climbed back into bed with your own two feet. You know what I mean? You didn't lose a loved one. You didn't lose. So how can you say you had a bad day? You know? 
So it, it just it put me around a different environment. And, you know, when I go to the racetrack, you know, these when we talk about these people, now these are the ones that those drivers are their heroes. Those are they are in all of them because they don't have that accessibility. So the idea with the first year at the Wiscasset, I said, Listen, I need you to they got three they got five races. I need you to bring me fifteen athletes. I need their names. He goes, Oh, okay, well what's up? I said, Because they're gonna be my trophy presenters in Victory Lane. So Charlie Sanborn wins, you know, Brandon's gonna um present Charlie his trophy, you know, for winning. But Charlie's also going to have a trophy already at his car that's going to have Brandon's name on it. He's going to present back to him for that night. Unbelievable. The, those kids, for those pieces of plastic that, you know, and to talk to them and ask them what they do. And, you know, it, it was just, it was it was an amazing thing. So it was really a, a rewarding experience, you know, and this year we're not going to be able to do it, but next year we'll be back. And it's something that I've wanted to incorporate with the entire state, with all the tracks. But like I said, I have different working relationship with each track. And, um, you know, so I can only do what I can do, but it's, you know, it, it, it's been fun. Yeah. Well, uh, any any little bit last bit of housekeeping we have here, Bradley? Uh, yeah, I mean we got to talk weekends and stuff like that. <laughs> but so, were you at Star yesterday? Beechridge first, then Star. Then Star. All right. So um, I was told by Brick that you may or may not have been happy with him after the race last night. What what, what was <laughs> what was uh, what was that about? You're gonna put me on the spot, aren't you? <laughs> well, that's hey, what hey, the show I, is about. I told Brick I would. I told Brick I'd bring it up, and did I said you, we were having you on the show. Did you see the race? So. I, I did. I, yeah. Well, well it's part of it. I was, you know, well, fifteen beers deep. But. Yeah, fifteen. <laughs> no, it was the whole class. It's oh, one of those. No, I, it, all they do is run into each other. Yeah, I thought it was a fucking day of destruction. Yeah, for a no, second. that's all they yeah. do is run into each other. Yeah. So we had to have a when Brick won a couple weeks ago. Yep. I'm gonna take credit for Brick winning. Yep. Because his car the whole first week and then all through practice that week was tight in the middle. He could never get off the corner. And I said to him, you got to change the way you're entering the corner. That'll fix your whole handling issue the way you enter the corner. You ain't got to change the spring. You ain't got to change the air pressure and all that. He went out in the heat, won the heat, gapped him. He's like, oh, my God, what a difference. I said, you keep doing that in the feature, you'll win. He does. Well, he forgot all that last night. And and you see it all the time, you know, drivers. And, Charlie, you've been there. Oh, well, yeah. I was in there. Well, No. That guy was making his act to go in the corner just because you dive-bombed him and your right front fender got to his left rear tire or his door doesn't mean you were in there. You drove your way in there. There's a difference, you know? So, yeah, yeah we had a, a agreed to disagree, you know, and it's racing. I get it. But what I I explained to him, and, and, it, and it's tough because, you know, I have the other one that races at Beecher's the 87 down there that got a half, didn't even make a half a lap yesterday in the Mad Bomber race because the guy starting on the pole doesn't realize he can't use all three grooves. And the guy <laughs> starting third in a 10 car field realizes that he needs to be in the lead by lap one because, it, you know, so, you know, one of those deals, you know, yeah. and we unfortunately end up in the backstretch wall. Um, but I tell my guys, you know, I go racing now, it's a total different deal. My deal down to Star was to help Bobby Weber a division, you know. And then also a business side of it for me, the trophy business yeah. and all that. So I don't need to go make waves. I don't need to go, you know, any of my situations. You know, Jake's scared to death. Our first race today is at Hudson. I'm like, listen, I don't need a trifecta this week. We had a bad day at Beatrice. We didn't have a much better day at Star. You know, I don't need a trifecta, you know, because I kind of – and I'm not putting them in a tough – they're going to race. They're going to do what they do. But in the end, 
I'm there to support. I'm spending a lot of money on three race cars. Yeah. What do I get for enjoyment? Honestly, where's my enjoyment? I ain't got no enjoyment. You know, I mean, enjoyment of watching other people. I could take that money and do something else with it. So, you know, I look at it from a different perspective. I'm helping, you know, trying to help three tracks, you know, with a car count, bringing people in, you know, and, and, you know, like I said, with the with the athletes and things we did last year, you know, it's just try to introduce more people. Now, we brought athletes to races last year that continued going to the races. Never been before. The kids loved it, you know. So, I mean, it's it's all of us doing our part to try to, you know, increase, you know, fan attendance, fan participation, and, uh, yeah. So, yep. if you want to buy Brick's car, <laughs> and I <laughs> Wait, told him last night. We are trying to get Brad back into a car or yeah, go-kart I, of I, some sort. The, uh, it is, is not they they look fun the, those cars as 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 much weaponry as there is out on that racetrack in a slingshot race they do look fun they, they look really fun at star um i was you know i didn't see any, i didn't see brick necessarily do anything egregious yesterday i was also shit-faced so take that with an asterisk or whatever but the 25 car i th- i blinked a couple times and i thought that this was literally a car wars or something because in the slingshot race i mean he tried to put brick into the turn four wall and then yeah. he tried to do the same thing to tj the next lap going through one and two and i'm yeah, like but, what the hell is so, going on here so you must have been earlier in the race okay brick and tj basically motherfucked the 25 <laughs> really yeah yeah so so uh, we all forget this right well, I, we, no you didn't see it i for you sure probably, missed it yeah <laughs> you were probably yeah, head yeah. back you know i'll never forget one time with mike Rowe. one time guy roots him out of the way Mike comes on the radio and says, what the fuck's his problem? I get to him. I go, let me tell you what his problem is, Mike. He ain't got amnesia like you because the reason you're ahead of him because you fucking punted him five yeah. laps earlier. Right. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you know. But, yeah, so, so yeah, TJ and Brick motherfucked the 25 together. Yeah. Uh, so That makes a lot of sense yeah. now. Oh, yeah. I, was, I was wondering. I was like, this guy usually doesn't catch my eye for doing things like this. And then, I mean, he sailed it into the corner both times and hit both of them. I'm like, yeah. where the hell did that yeah. come from? Well, he's not, he don't have, he don't suffer from what Dory did. Short-term yeah. memory loss. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. He fucking, yeah. yeah, he was taking his shit in his good, own hands. Good for know? him then, I guess. Jesus. Well, and, <laughs> and like I explained to Brick one day, and uh, uh, because, and and I, I'm probably Brick's toughest critic you yeah. know it's like you know kids or anything you can say anything about your kid but somebody else does you're ready to knock the head off even though you yeah. agree with them you know so I, I am tough on brick but listen the two shows mainly awards mainly motorsports I, I wouldn't have any of them i wouldn't be doing any of it without brick you yeah. know what i mean because he is a great guy you know um you know and, and works his balls off you know but like i explained a couple weeks ago racing and and most racers and i'm sitting here with one and i want to be Right? Yeah. Uh, More of a has-been. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. When I say they're idiots, I don't mean it that way. No, we are. But you think back of some of the shit, right? <laughs> yeah. Because they all love drama. They all love to start it. And then they all like to step back and watch it happen, right? Yeah. So two weeks ago, I'm standing there. And Brick's like, yeah, fucking so-and-so. He's fucking in my way. And oh, fucking I move him. Out. I said, listen. I said, shut the fuck up. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, when you're firewall deep. Because the guy you're standing next to is going to leave this shop and is going to call so-and-so and say, yeah, Brick said he did that, and he'd do it again if you want to hold him up. Okay? So when you're firewall deep and you're all done racing, because I ain't in this business to keep fixing cars because you guys make stupid comments, you know, just keep your shit to yourself, you know? Yeah. Could I have come on here today and spent an hour and a half of people that I think are fucking idiots, don't belong racing, 
the racetrack suck. They're this, that, or that. Well, that's what, an off, that's an off mic thing. That we'll talk, we'll yeah. talk about after yeah. this. What, what good is that though? You know what I mean? What yeah, good, right. And I, I try to I try to keep myself clean. You know, like when Debbie found out that you guys asked me to be a guest, and I'm like, ah, I think I'll like it. And she's like, Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> I go, What? She goes, Just just be careful. Just because she tries to keep me under wraps sometimes right. because, you know, I take the persona of I don't give a fuck and and. Um, but I try to do the right things for the most part. I try to be a good, I don't call myself a role model because if, if I'm your role model, yes. man, you've got some serious <laughs> fucking shit going on in your life. You know what I mean? But but I like to think I've worked hard. I've given my back to the sport, continue to give to the sport, you know, and, um, you know, it's all I can say. Yeah, a couple couple house house cleaning or whatever fucking housekeeping things for cleaning. the Black yeah, Flag podcast you get it. here. I just had a minor stroke. I'm also <laughs> severely hungover. Like, my brain is yelling at me. I You're got going to Hudson from here? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I, my my brain is hoping that I get more alcohol in me, I think. Um, I think that's usually what that means. But Angelo Belsito won the uh, Granite State race. Um, just, uh, you know, props to us because he's he's won the last two races uh, for the Granite State Series. Yeah, it sounds and, like you um, just said his name right, too, for the I first know. time. Well, no, no. We uh, this That's actually what I had on, in the notes was that uh, Angelo Belsito two for two since we pronounced his name right correctly on the show so jesus i mean uh you know i guess, oh, so you got I guess, guess he might go oh, yeah. he, he might go three for three <laughs> yeah. i brought glasses because i don't well, know if i'd have to read something well, no nah, I, I got it we, we put a whiteboard up just for just in case things get a little quiet as you can tell i don't speak that often i, I i'm more of especially when we have a guest like that maybe i'm not aware of for sure it's you know i just I uh yeah I just try to have something in case it, the mics get a little silent. There's like ten minute, ten seconds or whatever of us just staring at each other, not knowing what to say. Then I have something to talk about because it's you know it's behind Charlie now. It used to be like right up here, but there's wires and shit, and you know shit gets all fucked up. But um yeah, I, I gotta give a shout out to uh, Johnny Rocket. Uh, works on Pork Shops Number Twenty Two Street Stock at at uh, Star or whatever. So happy birthday to him, and uh, happy birthday to Timmy Weber and. The mod race yesterday was fucking Badass. wild. That was that was a show. If Priest, you missed that Priest one. Priest carved his way to the front. Yeah. And obviously, so it's funny, you know what I mean? You talk to Timmy Weber, you know, it was the 121, you yep. know? Um, but, yeah, that was a, that was a great race. And, yeah, that it was it was amazing. I mean, uh, I, did, I, w- I was at Beatridge, so tell me what happened. Somebody somebody tried to take the wall down. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony Cecily went. Yeah. I mean, he cracked the wall at least. Yikes. Like, yeah, yeah, and that thing is destroyed. We saw it a couple times. I mean, you, you, you might as well throw it in the trash. Were we um, in the field at all? BFP stickers. Yeah, yeah. Ca- Carl, Carl Maderos. Carl Maderos. That's right, the yeah, one. Yeah. Only we one. love you, Carl. You finished Carl. the race sitting over to the, my right. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sitting in the so, grandstands. So, not, so not a good look for the BFP stickers in, <laughs> yep. in the modified series. But I mean, he he did pretty well in his heat. His heat was a fuck show. The first heat. I mean, they just they couldn't stop wrecking. Uh, poor poor Ryan Priest there for a second. You know, just takes down the wall at Kansas. And Ryan then, Priest is not poor. Well. Yeah, you get what you're <laughs> yeah, correct. Give give me a second. Uh, yeah, I mean, guy has bad luck. Obviously, not his doing at Kansas this week. Was finally running good and, and just got destroyed. Obviously, and then just hops in a plane or whatever. Fucking comes to star, which I, I respect the hell out of that. Well, and, at the end of the night, because I ended up in the Waddell trailer, which was right there, because Sean spots for Ryan, and he stayed till the last person had a picture taken, something signed or whatever. You know what I mean? And that's yep. the, the, you know. And I saw last week because of social media because, you know, we got all these people that they, they think they got it all figured out. You know, not you know not everybody was all pro Ryan Priest coming. You know, you had people making comments. But I'm like, 
Listen, how, how could you be against that? Yeah, What's just, your argument for that? Because you're an idiot. You yeah. know, <laughs> you're an absolute idiot. You know what I mean? And and you know, you're bringing another quality car to a race. You know, um, that's probably going to bring people that wouldn't come. That'll Absolutely. be there now. So you're racing your product in front of a bigger crowd. Uh, you know, it's just, you know how people are. Yeah, and Star, Star sold out yesterday, so I got to imagine that Ryan Priest coming had something to do with that. I mean, Star, would, I would assume, would, you know, be oh, damn close to... Oh, they a good to, crowd anyway. Yeah, yeah that, that, they, was they, a, that was a great race. And, and, and the Webbers, they do a great job down there, you know, and obviously Timmy's birthday. And, you know, they they incorporate different stuff. And, yeah, and, yeah. and Oh, they. I mean, there's a different thing, niche every week. One thing that like. they have over a lot of the local racetracks is their social media game is phenomenal. You know, you you typically know, you know, especially it's a big big week. You know who's coming. You know what's racing. You know, it's just simple things. You know, uh, and a lot of racetracks around here, I just don't do that. Yeah, but. and that and, and it's funny you say that. That's a separation, New Hampshire and Maine. And obviously this year it's different, Maine without fans and all that stuff, but. The one thing that the tracks in, in Maine are, that are lacking behind when it comes to New Hampshire is the social media, putting the week schedule up, putting, you know, trying to drag in extra money for, I mean, Brick won a, a slingshot race a couple weeks ago for $425, you know, part of it from the track and other people kicking in and all that. Yep. Well, somebody's got to want to do that work. Norm Wren does it at Lee, you know, Joe Bassett, obviously, you know, Bobby Weber does it, you know, Ben Bozowski, you know, those guys are out searching, you know, whereas up here, I don't think... This is what it is. This is what you got, and have at it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. But just going back, just quick, um, back to the mod race. That was, it was phenomenal to watch. Nocella, Nocella, and Priest actually. Nocella was sporty. I mean, him and Priest cutting through the field. They both started dead last. Um, both had to make their way in through the uh, the Concies, and you know, Matt Swanson, same thing. I yeah. mean, he, they they all three of those guys made it in through the Concies, started at the back. Swanson ended up P two. Um, thought that he had a chance to you win. You think there if it stays late, clean but, and green, he uh probably not you don't you No, don't. i think hirschman was, well hirschman had the cop yeah yeah but he couldn't get through traffic because because they were racing side by side mcdermott goodale so i, yep. I think if it stays clean and green and they don't keep having those restarts because you know things open yeah, up on restarts right, right. um but i i i really believe nocella had a better car than hirschman i think so you know yeah. he, he just he knew he needed to get ahead of hirschman and he and he took that daring chance where there was like a half a hole that he dove for and you know, in one of those cases where if, if everybody was able to back up and give you the hole, he's in. He's going to go by Hirschman. He's going to win that race. But yep. it worked exactly the way it should have. He should have been spun, which he was. Yep. Um, you know, it was just racing. It was a racing deal. And um, But he came back up almost, what, to top five in like 10 laps, yeah, 15 yeah, laps? Yeah, I believe so. I, I just – it was – the only reason I say uh, – Matt Swanson's been my favorite modified driver since I found out that he listens to the Black Flag podcast, um, and he'll continue to be, obviously, uh, because he still listens to the Black Flag podcast. Gave him a free shirt last night for uh, all the work that he did, and uh, maybe because we're going to get a sticker on uh, his Modifords. So uh, White Mountain next week, we're, we're going to go fast. Let's just say that. Um, and also, a- Andy J. Koyak's second favorite modified racer. Um, and, it, and it could be because those are the you know only people that I've ever met on the tour. <laughs> um, but, you know, other than Carl. Oh, I forgot Carl. Carl's gonna hate me now. Yeah. Ooh, that was. A, I, that I was just a had. I had. You I fucked had the, up. I had the top three written down on the board. I mean, Carl. It was so. No, it's so cool though. Like the, with the whole podcast thing, I would never know. Uh, I really still don't know Matt Hirschman, but you know Matt Swanson, uh, Andy Jankowiak. I fell asleep this early little, at Atlantic City. This and, shitty little show that we have here has opened up so many strange doors. Uh, just bringing so many different people into my life and Brad's too. I guess now at this point too. But like two years ago, we didn't even know each other. No, and now. We live together. 
So it, it that it just shows you how, like what how racing can totally oh, change your life. No, it, it's relationships. Yeah. Life's relationships, but you know, especially in we're here to talk to racing and and think about it. Like you said, the people you've you've met over the years, I mean you met, oh, you yeah. know what I mean? And and Charlie failed to tell you that when they were helping us that uh you know, they had a big go-kart race up there, and Charlie got out into the grass and went through the fence, and they had to take <laughs> him. Oh, yeah, it was like an hour red flag <laughs> yeah, because fucking Sally had a back hurt, and they had <laughs> him and his dad, and we had to wait for the rescue. To be and fair, all. I was oh. unconscious. Yeah, it was <laughs> so then, so then, oh, yeah, so we we uh, we didn't get out of the midnight. They went in the ambulance. They needed, so I had to drive. Brick followed me, and just gonna I, just gonna touch base here real quick. Bruised spinal cord is what the doctor told me. So we're just yeah. gonna let hurt him. feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Hurt feelings. That's, <laughs> a, that's another word of him saying their feelings are hurt. So yeah, I get to drive the truck and trailer that that uh, the the big rig back to the the hospital. Oh and yeah, I it. forgot so, about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Holy so. fuck, I'm really out of my element. You and Bobby kind of had the same thing. Fucking unconscious after like what? You, what did he just say? Well, the what, what cart Steve what failed happened? to mention is that it fucking uh, torrential downpoured the night beforehand. So uh, and it was October. Do the grass was due. So when he hit the grass and hit the brakes, he picked up speed. I, I gained oh, speed. Shit. And this was the the dash for cash, or I think that's what it was called, right? Thousand yeah. dollars went mainly motorsports. Four hundred weekend. It's a big deal. There's a hundred plus go karts in the pit area, which mind you holds usually like twenty. So there's go karts fucking everywhere. And uh, we go out there, and it, it, my cart was awful in the first, like, two laps. Um, but after, like, those two laps, it would come into it, and I was a rocket ship. But we had – we started 25 carts, I think. Yeah. And this track is an eighth of a mile. I don't even know. Not even. Maybe, like, a fifth, uh, whatever. Um, it's a fifth of a mile. That's what it is. Um, but anyway, like, we'd get, like, three laps in, caution. Three laps in, caution. And then, like, the by the seventh caution on the sixth lap, oh, it was fucking shit, shit. we're coming off a of four, taking the green, and the leader's wrecked in a 20-cart fucking race. So I'm like, I'm going to pick up some spots here. Well, I went to the right, and I got fucking doored by somebody, and it just shot me out to the right, and I hit the grass, and it was still wet from the night before plus it was dewy because it's October. I fucking gained speed, and I buried it in the fucking front stretch wall. And from what I've been told, I like kind of stumbled out of it and just fell down. Yeah. And then so like, we had to all sit there for an I, hour. I had some Tweety so, Birds going yeah. on. <laughs> a couple funny stories from that. So now we take his cot, we load it in a trailer, right? Well, back in the day, go-kart racing was really big because the likes of DJ Shaw, Reed Lamfer, Joey Dwyron, they would still dabble in it. They're racing their super late models, dabbling in that. So it's not a spectator sport, but when those guys show up, spectators show up. Oh, yeah. So that night, Dale comes down to me. We've, he knew I was taking the truck and trailer. He goes, hey. He goes, is that car still in there? He goes, let's go look in the fuel tank. I go, why? He goes, I want to see how much fuel we got. You know, because we've been running. We didn't know if we had to come fuel. So we're waiting for this kid to get put in the meat wagon. Yeah. All Dale Shaw cares about is how much fuel he's got if we got to bring him in the pit. <laughs> so Alicia's, it was Alicia's first race in Unrestricted. She was 12. Okay. So we're like, I said, just try to stay in a lead lap. If anybody wants to race, let them race. Don't fucking worry about it. When it's time to race, I'll tell you when it's time to race. And un- so, and for those that don't know, unrestricted go-kart racing at Richmond Karting Speedway, an average lap, I think, was like 68 yeah, miles an hour. Yeah, they flying. Yeah, you were doing well over 70 at the end of the straightaway. In a go-kart where your ass is a quarter of an inch off the ground. So we were we were cruising. So we had joked all week. She goes, Dad, if I make any money, can I have it? I go, yeah, absolutely. You know, because, you know, they're paying top five. She ain't going to finish top five, whatever, yeah. So... We keep making adjustments, keep putting fuel in, keep putting fuel in. So she's pretty decent. 
She comes in with 20 to go. Tommy Rowe, Mike Rowe's other son, uh, is helping me and Brick. So Tommy says, just put a bunch of air into the left front and let's go. I said, all right, you know, now I've been telling you you want to race. Now it's time to race. Go get them. So she is fucking chopping through the field. I'm like going nuts. I'm like, she's three tenths quicker than all of them. Now leading's Willie Pilot, who is the head engine tuner on Go Fast Racing. Second is DJ Shaw. Third is Ryan Hewins. Fourth is Ryan Hammond. These guys are the best of the best when it comes to go-kart racing. She's coming. She passes fourth. She goes by third. And just as she goes by third, Tommy still from me. I'm like, now I'm going to be in a fucking fight with her over the $1,000. She's going <laughs> to yeah. win this race. Because yeah. those two are up there. She is going to go right by them and win this race. So Tommy Stilfen crashes. Um, Bill Stilfen gets mad, calls the race with six to go, moves her back a lap. She ends up fourth, gets $150. So the only two happy people there are Willie Pilot, who wins 1000 and the kid that wins 150 so she can go buy some sneakers she wants, like literally. And, uh, yeah, so it was a great night of racing. You know, like I said, that's that's the time I met, you know, Chuck and – and that, and we don't have to talk about it on air, but oh. you can talk to him about off air. Oh yeah, you guys, this used to be the greatest place in the world because you were like two miles from Chicago Dogs. Yeah, right. Yeah, do you remember the the day we went to Chicago Dogs? Me, you, your dad, and there was a bunch of us, and the conversation that I would have with you and your dad. Yeah, yeah, I remember. You can talk about it. That's that's what the show is all about. Did you? Yeah. Uh, you and that's dad not, haven't, hasn't happened. You haven't no. crossed swords. No, I'm I'm all set <laughs> on that. <laughs> Charlie was mortified. Yeah. Mortified. The oh, old man no, you, you, you left out the part where Spank was with us and his ex-wife showed up. Do you remember that? No. You don't remember that? When Fanny so, showed up? Yeah, no, the one before that, I oh, guess. Oh, the one, the, the real ex-wife. Yeah, the real ex-wife. Yeah. So, so we're all sitting there at Chicago Dogs. They used to sponsor the race car. Um, and uh, I think they did some stuff with you two on the show. And, uh, you know, we're sitting there and, you know, Perry's over here trying to get my dad and I to fuck some random broad uh, <laughs> together. Uh, but the deal is he just wants to watch. <laughs> but they can't cross. It's it's nothing wrong with them unless the swords don't cross. Yeah, I'm good on that. I'm all set on it. Chuck and Charlie. Just, um, <laughs> yikes. Uh, uh, but anyway, Spank is with us, too. The, the parts guy at uh, Trackside Racing Supplies. Uh, no free ads. And uh, we're sitting there and just out of nowhere his ex-wife shows up and it like so now i'm fucking freaking out because we're talking about me and my dad banging like the same person and then spanks uh, sitting across with us his ex-wife shows up the only person comfortable in the whole arena here is steve barry i don't give a fuck (laughs) (laughs) yeah spanky's ready to crawl under a chair and uh yeah and and chuck's kind of like i don't know and charlie's like charlie wants to leave (laughs) you got a license at the time or something i was like fucking 17 couldn't go you know yeah like no that sounds wrong no 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 you're good you're good so yeah fuck uh yeah wild stories with steve perry yeah apparently uh, that that barely touches the surface on that one uh they, oh that's another thing dan collins was supposed to be here today he was going to call you out on the uh the whole you owe him something what do i owe you owe oh, him. a blow job <laughs> by a stripper on um uh, on roller blades. blades yeah 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 <laughs> You're going to follow through on that? He's going to call you out on it. I was hoping he'd be here today to call you out on that. Hmm. I don't know no strippers. Well, I mean, oh, no, I know Steven. strippers. I don't Steven. know no midgets. Yeah. We know better than that. <laughs> I don't know midgets. Uh, I'm sure we can make that happen. Uh, any any last bit of housekeeping here? Uh, yeah, I want to apologize to Carl Maderos. <laughs> <laughs> Why? He, he was sitting right next to me. Was he in the race? Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, no, I know. Just yeah. he was oh, yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah right. but he finished the race in the grandstands, right to the yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. Well, he the actual happenings of the race. He started on outside pole. You know, he was running top. 
eight the whole entire race as much as he ran in the race and pulled off i don't remember exactly what he said what happened um probably words that i won't remember ever just because i was so not with and the world anymore but yeah at the end of the night i was so drunk that i didn't even rec- I, I literally talked to carl five or six times during the day and i met carl at the 250 last year and i've talked to him maybe once in my entire life and so i was just shooting the shit with him because he was the only guy that i really knew in the field um that's why he and also matt swanson and andy J are uh, my three favorites now uh <laughs> co co triple tri favorites tri yeah. favorites that's the word um tri favorites for the tri track on offense absolutely there you go hey kid you're right. thinking on your feet um so yeah but i was so drunk at the end of the night i fucking went over to the weber's little compound there and i sat down at the picnic table just because you know when i initially left i left for about an hour and there was no one there and then um when i went back the only person that i still there i obviously didn't recognize was carl and carl senior and i think his lady friend and uh so it was cool to just hang out with carl like another guy that i would just i would have no idea who he was if it wasn't for charlie um in the podcast i mean maybe maybe i would know him just because of the podcast but obviously him and charlie go way back so um it was cool to be able to like hang out with him the entire night and you know just act like we had known each other for years when we had had one conversation prior to yesterday um so that's cool that's you know just i guess i'll end on that that's the last thing i need to say <laughs> uh so where in the world will bfp this weekend Loudon, 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 new hampshire and new white hampshire mountain Speedway. oh white that? mountain yeah, white mountain and Loudon. yep going, to you white going anywhere you going to either of those maybe listen when you're my size and my age, you don't make week-long plans. I just hope to wake up tomorrow. Okay, that's fair. Right? I don't set big goals. See, that, that answers the last question I was going to ask you after this. It was, uh, what, what's Steve's five-year plan? Do you see any more flukes coming up, or you're just going to f- hopefully wake up tomorrow? Jesus. that's Like I said, every day is a good day when you're on the right side of the dirt. So, um, no, I, I don't, you know, I mean, I got the three race cars. Um, if the weekend continues like it started, yeah, that won't last very long. But uh, no, it's just you know, and Debbie talks about it all the time. You got to slow down. You got to slow down. I spend when I tell you sixty-five hours with my LST gig, and then you know the mainly motorsports thing, the awards. You know, I'll leave and then I'll go there at night and you know make tags and give Brick guidance for the next day. Um, and then you know in the winter time, with you know I still got a dump truck business too, so. I'm still pretty busy, you know, and it's just, I, I don't know. I just, we talked about it two weeks ago. I went and sat in a side-by-side where that fits. That'll be nice. What the fuck am I going to do with it? Well, you know, I'm going to buy it, and I'm going to let all my friends use it, you know, like everything I do. Yeah. I have three race cars. All my, my brother and, you know, Debbie's son and, you know, my son-in-law drive them, you know. I don't drive them. I mean, so eventually I think I want to do something for me. I mean, I don't know, like, how much longevity in the shows, you know, the TV show, the shows in Augusta and Portland. You're like, how long do you keep going? But who, if I don't, who does? Right. You know, honestly. My, does that you know, scare you, not knowing the answer to that? No, nah, no, nah, I really don't. It's not that I don't care. Yeah. But, you know, it's probably one of the driving forces that keeps me going. Like, I have nobody in my world, you know, that, that I can just say, you know, this is what it is and this is how you do it. And, you know, um, you know, I had a health scare a couple of years ago where I ended up in the hospital. I had multiple blood clots through both lungs. And, you know, and I know if one of those moves and you hear and it goes and, you know, day's over. You know, but I don't think like that. I just think like I got to live today like it's my last because you never know. It's somebody's going to wake up today and today is going to be their last. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I got to start thinking of that stuff. You know, the TV show is, I don't want to say it's run its course. Um, you know, there's still a lot of people that watch it. There's still a lot of people. And we are strictly social media now. Um, you know, when the COVID thing started, plus um, um, maybe not quite as bad as you, but uh um, I shouldn't say bad. I say as good as you guys. Um, 
me and Archie did a show where we yeah talked. I I heard about this touch base on that we t- we we um we did some shit and we talked and we said shit you know yeah. a few things and a couple things and so they reached back and said hey you, you know we can't put that on the air you know and I'm like oh dude, sorry about that they hadn't really been paying attention so then they went back in a few episodes and saw some things that they didn't like that I said made a comment about. You know, I was talking about Pleasant Hill Auto Sales, and I'm like, hey, you know, we got our prices, and if you don't like them in, you know, if you're not happy with our price, send your wife in and we'll dick her. You know, well, <laughs> that shouldn't be said on WPME, I guess. And I don't uh, see why not. No, yeah. I didn't either. So, <laughs> so, yeah, we had a, a little bit of a falling out type of thing, but, you know, so the end, you know, we still have Facebook and, uh, you know, but it's, it's not the same because it's not, you know, when Time Warner went away, that really – that took the wind out of my sails because it was Wednesday, Friday, nine o'clock. I mean, eight o'clock. It was easy to tell people. It was easy to find. You were on a surf channel. You know, you just surf up through, and boom, there he is. You know, so um, that's taken a really, really strange change, and you know the way I do it. And now I almost think I'm just doing it for the sake of because there's nobody else that's gonna. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the one that worries me because it is not profitable. Money out of my pocket keeps it going each week with paying, you know, Dave Stewart for what he does and the traveling and paying people to help me. Um, that's the one that scares me because I don't think there's going to be anybody that's going to pick it up and, you know, um, and keep running with it. Well, you know, I, I know that I appreciate all that you've done for, uh, you know, the, the sport and uh, what you've done with the show and, uh, you, you know, the local shows for the car shows earlier, you know, in the season and stuff like that. So uh, for whatever it's worth, I hope you don't give up on it and I hope you stay around and, um, you know, just continue being Steve Perry. And I know that you're pulled in all sorts of different directions at all times. So I do appreciate you giving us a little bit of your time here, but, uh, usually the last thing we do on the show too, is looking forward to the, the NASCAR race for the, the one coming up. We're going to Loudon. sounds like who's your pick for Loudon? picks picks for NHMS presented by the graphics coupe. Yep. And world BFPB is presented by any racing news. We didn't say that earlier. You get it. Just, <laughs> just want to get that out there. A couple sponsors. Yep. <laughs> so I could be a sponsor. Smooth yeah, that's transition. Up to you. I got a race car and we got a show. Yeah, so talk, you talk about us. not profitable um, <laughs> podcasting. I guess <laughs> learn that pretty quick. Jesus, um, pick for New Hampshire. Denny Hamlin. Oof. All right, good one. Uh, Kevin Harvick. Matt Kenseth. Really, really, and I think he's probably going to wreck in turn one. Um, I think there's going to be a shit. I think it's going to be a show because think about no practice, no qualifying. You're at a track. That's not really like many of the other tracks on the circuit. Pretty I flat. Think that they're going to bail off into turn one. Cars. See what happens. I, no other cars on the racetrack the entire weekend. No rubber built down. I think that you're going to see a shit show and I'm looking forward to it. I now, think it's just what Loudon needs. Now we've <laughs> been, we, we've been watching all the cup races, obviously on TV and you know, it's different because you, like Kansas, I've never been to Kansas, so watching just the race is what I would probably do anyway. I'm not going to watch practice for Kansas and qualifying and all that stuff where I probably would for other racetracks. So, but the fact that we've been to Loudon as many times as we have, you've been there, yep. I'm sure, uh, Steve. But um, it's going to be weird where it's going to be almost like going to a, a Beechridge or an Oxford or whatever just for the race. That's yep. it. You show up for the race and you go home. Yep. Um, so it's not sitting in the sun for fucking 47 hours a day, baking in those uh, uh, aluminum grandstands and all that. So the atmosphere, I'm sure, will be different and um, you know, all that stuff. But, uh, again, 
Steve, thank you for coming on. Thank no, you thank for coming you guys. Out here. I, I, I want to do it again. I want Dan here. Yeah, yeah. That would be a show. Where after, are we going to fit? <laughs> after today, I, I knew it was going to be a good show with you on, and uh, you just exceeded all expectations. So I, I appreciate it. Again, I know you're pulled in all sorts of different directions at all times. So thank you for giving us a little bit of your time. And uh, hopefully everybody listening enjoyed that. Episode uh, 75. Tucker Cole. T- uh, Tucker Cole. Gary huh? Smith. But uh, that Elevate Design. Uh, hey, I'm going to show my age. The Beave. Beaver, beaver Dragon. Oh, Beaver Dragon. Really? 75, right? Am I wrong? I don't know. Are you? Jesus. <laughs> don't don't ask me. I don't know who we're talking about. I, was, I, I just had Tucker Cole like locked and ready to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess uh, what was the oh, one you said? Gary Smith. That's yep. a good 75. Yep. What? That's the only uh, one I, I can think I think it's the Beave. It's the Beave? Yeah, probably. I mean, could be. Yeah. Sure. Interesting. <laughs> oh, we'll last question. Last question. Uh-oh. I'm going to drag this out. Uh. 87 is that the number that you always drove yes why well um when i decided that i thought i could go car racing um i had two numbers that i had narrowed it down that i wanted one was 87 um because of bob Bilodeau. you know he was my favorite driver um and then my other number was 12 because of bobby allison and so is that why alicia was a 12 no no um so i let my ex-wife at the time, Leanne, you know, was married. We were dating, and I, I said, "You, you choose whichever one you think." And um, she took eighty-seven because it was the year she graduated. So that was where the eighty-seven came from. Alicia came from the twelve because Ryan Newman was her favorite driver. Ah. So th- that's where that one came from. Which, and we talk about, and this will be my last thing, and then you can tell me to shut the fuck up and go home. <laughs> I would never. Um, no. We all talk about favorite drivers, right? My first ever favorite driver at Beach Ridge Motor Speedway was Charlie Small. I met Charlie Small. We talk about that oh, yeah. un- unattainability. I never met Charlie Small. I didn't know, right? He was my first ever favorite driver. Had the blue Chevelle, had all the stickers on the fender. I knew he was getting his stickers out of cereal boxes because I was getting them too. Yeah. <laughs> Fast forward like 20 years later, 25 years later, whatever, I, I, I sponsor a bus trip. I get a bus and we go to the pass race on a Thursday down at Thompson. So you sign up, you call in, send an email, blah, blah, blah. And I got this list of names, and I'm going down, me and Andrea going. So I'm checking you on as you come on and all that. So you get on, yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't even think. I'm checking this Charlie Small, Charlie Sandboy. You know, I'm just whatever. So we're sitting there, and I'm just mingling around with the people talking, you know, and they all watch the show and all that, so they know. So I start talking to this guy. He says, he goes, oh, I used to race. I said, you did? I said, what's your name i said i could go get my list he goes charlie small i go oh my f-. i said i was like the goosebump thing again i go yeah you are my first ever favorite driver oh really i said yeah and then you realize your favorite driver should win races so i switched from you to home and drew <laughs> but it was for like two or three years you were my guy i loved your cars i loved the look of them you were my first ever favorite driver you know it's a pretty cool story. Yeah, just very cool. Yeah, you know, we've we talked about it before, and even a little bit today. the 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 way that racing, over a period of time, can just go full circle is it's wild. Um, so that that's a pretty cool one to hear too. But, uh, again, episode seventy five. Thank you to everybody for listening. Um, what we have eleven hundred some odd over all the shows last week or the week before. Yeah, we've um, been hugging right around eleven hundred. Yeah, so eleven hundred people listening to this. That's wild to me. It doesn't make any sense, but we appreciate and love every, each and every one of you. Uh, tank tops coming soon. Uh, those are going to be here this week, hopefully. Uh, anybody that wants one, I think they're what 20, 25 bucks, something like that. Twenty five bucks after the pre. 
pre-sale. So 25 bucks for a tank top. And a sticker. Probably. Sun's out, guns out with a BFP st- logo across your titties. Nothing wrong with that. A couple stickers with a tank top, obviously. Um, and again, thank you, Steve. Uh, episode 75, I'm Charlie Sanborn at C Sanborn III. You are Brad Saucier at bsauce 96 And you're just Steve Perry. That's right. I don't yeah. have all that fancy you're the, shit. You're the, you're the mainly motorsports guy. You're the mainly wards guy. You're the jack of all trades when it comes to local short track racing, and we appreciate everything that you do. But uh, for now, uh, everybody listening, just listen to this car thing that we do at the end of every episode. Also, we wicked forgot, shout out Mike Ordway, former guest, friend of the program for winning the Isma race. 